Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is episode 38 of Fried Squirms. Sure is. And we are finally getting to talk about House of 1000 Corpses. Yeah, and it's funny in a way because this is a, a redo for us. Well, you know what? We'll save that for yeah, the How Did yeah, I Make You Squeal. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm so excited to finally get to talk about this movie. Yeah, um, man. We, I'd say probably in half of our episodes, this is just pulling a number out of my ass, but I'd say in probably about half of our episodes, we mentioned Rob Zombie. It's funny you say that because my brother-in-law mentioned that. He's like, you guys talked a lot about Rob Zombie, especially in our early episodes. I know we talked him up a bit. Because we both really love this movie. I was about to say these movies because... Well, there are several. Yeah. I always just sort of clump House of 1,000 Corpses along with Devil's Rejects, its sequel. But they're very different movies, and we're they only are. talking about this one this time. So, Well, yeah. We can get into the, the latter ones we can go, later. Yeah, we can go into just, just how much the other one just makes me produce big, thick, <laughs> ropey, just ropes of cum. <laughs> <laughs> a fun. <laughs> but just... Yeah, man. No, it's... Tell me you've done a Rob Zombie film and. What better way than his debut film? I just, I really like this movie. I can't think of any news. Oh, no, I take well, that back. Well, I take that back. One of the pieces of news I want to share isn't new news. At this point, <laughs> we'll have already mentioned it one time, and it'll it's be funny. about a month old. However, it was on a recording that was lost. <laughs> well, not lost. We know where it's at, but it's not <laughs> worth listening to. No. But we had Toby Hooper pass. And we didn't get to bring this up on the show because, like I just said, that episode never aired. Yeah, so we do have to mention that. With Toby Hooper, we've also had, you mentioned, was it yesterday? Or today? Yeah, and then the thing with Toby Hooper was that it's kind of interesting that it happened right when we were going to do the show. Because this movie couldn't exist without Texas Chainsaw Massacre having happened. I would 100% agree with you with that. And just as Toby Hooper brought me one of my favorite moments in all of cinema, not just horror movies... So does this movie actually, which is why I'm so excited. Yeah, I just want to jump into it. Yeah, it's but then fun also about that. yesterday, as we were about you know the day before we try to do this episode, a legend dies. Jesus, man! And then we're going to do this episode again, and the day before, a legend dies. Not as much in the horror community, but with an interesting tie into the show. Len Wein unfortunately passed away. He's a huge comic book legend, co-creator of like Swamp Thing, which is why I brought him up because. I'm a huge Swamp Thing fan. We have a Swamp Thing that actually watches us record. Well, you sure do. In the room. Right behind me. Plus a lot of like the Alan Moore run, actually. And some of the Scott Snyder. And Anyway. You should maybe mention one more big name that he but, helped create. <clears throat> well, I mean, he... <laughs> that's the thing. He actually helped co-create a lot of characters across yeah. the board. Nightcrawler, Brother Voodoo. He helped introduce the original Starfire not the one that people think of, the, the Tamaranian princess, the original dude Starfire that later became Red Star. Also co-creator of Wolverine. Logan. Which, I mean, Jesus even if you're man, not into comics, huge. you know who fucking Wolverine is. I would imagine most of, at least the Western culture probably knows who Wolverine is in terms of comic books. He was editor on The Watchmen, awesome. which is possibly one of the biggest graphic novel of all time. I mean, it was the only graphic novel to make it on, like, the Times 100 Best Novels of the 20th Century. Saying a lot. Or whatever. Absolutely amazing work. Also, we got to talk about him before with somebody 
who had met him and worked with him in a moment that I never thought would happen on the show. Yeah, how unique is that? And, I mean, unfortunately, that's the closest I'm ever going to get now to talking to him. But we ended up getting the opportunity to watch this little movie called Savage Land. And it was amazing. We loved this movie. We made sure to own this movie. (laughs) No doubt. And he is in it. That was really cool. And we got to learn that through Simon. Yeah, we got to talk to one of the writer-slash-director-slash-producers of the flick and got to hear a little story about how all that came about. Which was really interesting because it was a mutual friendship and a love for comic books that those Simon and that actor shared. And through that, it's like, hey, you know, I know Lynn Wayne. Why not get him on board? Didn't he say he always wanted to act? Yeah, and... I mean, we can go watch him. I, I want to. I'm, awesome. I'm going to rewatch Savage Land sometime soon now. Oh yeah, no, I've I've got it primed in my collection now. But he was just one of those figures that every once in a while, when we're doing these movies, there's these people that you don't expect to get the chance to even talk about, much less talk to someone who worked with them. I know it's awesome. Um, it's unique. Which Very is unique. kind of when you're out here in Montana, when you can have that just the one degree of separation. Even that's better than nothing, because we're, awesome, we're pretty yeah. separated from everything out here. So We are. We're kind of uh, holed in, so to speak, you know. But, yeah, I mean, just that chance encounter we got, the email, and then full circle, you know. Yeah. It's pretty um, awesome. Yeah, just a figure we never thought we'd get to bring up and see in a horror movie so that right we got here to in talk your room about. Too, you know, some things are inspired by him. So that sucks for everybody else. But Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we mentioned, I don't know how many times now, on these episodes that this is something that it's going to probably keep reoccurring. I mean, unfortunately more so than not. You right. Know? Yeah. All these guys are getting old. Damn it. Quit getting old. All our heroes dying, man. Damn it. We keep getting new heroes. Yeah, we uh, do. I mean, heroes come and go, you know, just because of these movies. I mean, and his music, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. Rob Zombie house of a thousand corpses. We're going to bring the room up some because we love this movie. Yes, we do. Uh, let's get into the guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Rocking the guts and bolts. So I started thinking about it the other day, and I think it would probably make the best sense for us to start guts and bolts with a synopsis. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. Let's let's try to do that from now on. Let's try that. Let's try that. So if you don't know what House of a Thousand Corpses is about, it's four teenagers run into a murderous family in a movie that's probably best described as a 70s horror pastiche, heavily inspired by Texas Chainsaw and uh, the Manson family. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's, uh, I think that's a good synopsis. Like I said, just imagine 1970s, not very grainy, but the setting 1970s, and like you said, a cross of Manson and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And when you have a movie named House of a Thousand Corpses, you probably don't need much of a warning. But granted, <laughs> we still should get one. But you're right. I mean, that that name alone kind of conjures images. And honestly, I think the images are probably a little bit worse than what the movie is, but it gets pretty bad at times. Like, it yeah. gets pretty damn gory. There's boobs, a little bit of sexual content, a lot of cursing. Most definitely. A lot of uh, violence. Yep. Kidnap, torture, stuff like that. Not too much, like, explicitly shown torture, no, but, um, but no. there's still a little bit. Yeah. It's not overly done. Like, it's not a torture porn or and anything And then it like just that. gets, like, weird at times, too, especially towards the end. <clears throat> yeah, there's images of the occult, maybe some Satanism. Maybe some people would associate that, yeah. but I don't, I don't really associate it with that. 
outside of one of the characters' name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a character named Dr. Satan. Yeah, but it's not... That should give a lot away about, like, this the type of movie you're yeah. looking at. Yeah, we can discuss that. that that's the Ad type nauseum. of movie you're about to watch, is a movie where it's a bad. character is named Dr. Satan. Yeah, and it's fucking rad. Yeah, so think about this. This movie was actually filmed what, around 2000, but didn't get released until 2003. It took a little while for someone to pick it up. House of a Thousand Problems. Yeah, it started off with Universal, because Rob Zombie actually did some uh, some work with Universal. Helped him with their Horror Nights. Mm-hmm. And he was setting up a ride, and then the movie kind of grew out of the ride, which was then renamed to not confuse people, if I remember right. Or... I think you're right about that. They kind of switched it around. But what I understand about the whole production thing is... So Universal was the production company right. that helped them make it. And it exactly. was filmed mostly on the universal on lot. back lot, yep. a lot of the scenes. But they refused to release it because they were too afraid it was going to get an NC-17. Here's something else that's interesting about that as well, along with that, was there was one particular producer, I, I don't know her name, but they had mentioned her kind of in reference. They didn't mention her name, but said there was a particular producer where she felt like it was moral movie that had no redeeming qualities, so they didn't want to release it. And then I think it was maybe MGM. I think after Universal, Zombie bought the rights himself, at which point he started shopping it around. I'm trying to remember if I get this in the right order. I think he bought it from himself. And then the first one you were right was MGM. And then... <laughs> you want to you know what he said about this? Was He said, well, you know, Universal had a problem with morality. And he says, well... MGM, he's like, I guess they have no morality. They don't release any old shit, right? He made some comment of that nature. Mm -hmm. And he said, literally, the next day, everything was scrapped with MGM. So then they had to find a new home. And eventually, they got Lionsgate. And he's like, well, Well, he was going to just release it himself. Yeah. Sort of him continuing ahead with it sort of caught the eye of Lionsgate. Yeah, that's a good point. He ended up cutting it down. Although, you know, I listened to the director's commentary on this movie, and it sounds like a lot of what they cut really was kind of... They say that that's what cut it down from an NC-17 to more of an R rating, which is what they released it as. A lot of what he talks about, what they cut out, was a lot more just, like, jokes and little, like, throwaway scenes and shit. I do know that, like, the fish boy was supposed to be gorier and stuff. It sounds like there's not too much that they didn't end up using overall as far as, like, the gore effects go. Gotcha. You know, it is interesting. Those little nuggets that they don't want in the film. Sometimes it has nothing to do with what they actually keep in. Like, some of the parts they keep in is way worse than the shit they want to keep out. It's uh, it's a weird economy they have to deal with all the time with production companies and studios and shit. And I know Zombies said at times that, like, a deluxe version of the film is going to come out that's going to have a lot of those scenes cut back in, but it's not happened yet, so... You know, it'd be cool if they do... From what I understood, though, when Universal was helping, is like he said they would make, I won't say demands, but they would ask for things, and he's like, boom, there it was. He said they had no problem funding this project. Like I said, it wasn't until they had to actually distribute it and try to <laughs> release it where they started having problems and issues, which I find kind of weird. Well, it sounds like they had problems because he was usually a little bit behind on their shooting schedule, even though they did this on a super short schedule. It was like 30 anyway. days or some shit it took yeah, in the film? Yeah, 28 days, something like yeah, that. A month? Come on, guys. But then it also sounds like some of the reason he was behind schedule was because of the demands they were making of him, because they were trying to get him to shoot like two scenes, two different versions of each scene, one without blood, basically, and one with yeah, blood. Yeah, I do remember hearing that. 
and just shit like that. It, it seemed like they were always wanting him to do two different versions of every scene, and that's what was kind of keeping him behind schedule. Though he also admitted to there was times where like he liked this actor, so he wrote an extra little subplot just to give an extra <laughs> little ten minutes for this guy. Yeah, why not? I mean, sometimes you that have to do that for ended characters. Up getting cut anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but it's still nice to have that in, especially when you're fans of film and you get to see the director's cuts. And and there's still remnants of some of the little things here Gag and there, rules, like yeah. the skunk ape. That was a whole little subplot that was maybe like a 10-minute subplot, but all you end up seeing gets is cut like down. a 30-second weird fucking there's that. acid there's, trip sequence. Yeah, and there's the, the other gentleman out there and that little plot. This is hell. So technically, this movie ended up sounding like it was hell to make. In yeah. some ways, although a lot of fun in other ways. It sounds like everybody kind of had a good time on set, too. So Yeah, I mean, when you look at the cast, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, you can understand it probably was a really good time on set, I can imagine. Probably a lot of cool shit to talk about. I want to go into talking, like, this movie spoilery details. So right. as far as, like, people involved with this, we already mentioned Rob Zombie. Yeah, he helped direct <laughs> and write it. I mean, that's just his baby. I guess we'll mention, like, if cinematographer stuff I mean, like if that. you don't know Rob Zombie from film, with he's, now he's done, you know, like, the Halloween remake right. and Lords of Salem and a few other things. 31, 31 just came yeah. out. Then, I mean, maybe music, Rob Zombie, White Zombie. Yeah. I mean, you guys had to have heard some of this shit, right? I don't know. Yeah, I was listening to some of that earlier today, man. Hell yeah. Dragula, all that good stuff. But then, okay, but besides Rob Zombie, then you have... I'll name, like, just the technical stuff. Like, the cinematographer was Alex Pappas and Tom Richmond, two guys. Alex Pappas was most notably doing stuff like for Metallica and Incubus music videos. Tom Richmond did Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, Hardball... And stand to deliver. God, I love hardball. We were yeah. talking about that the other yeah, day. Yeah, we were. <laughs> Which is funny that it gets brought back up. Our editors, there was a couple. There was Catherine Himoff, Robert K. Lambert, and Sean K. Lambert. They all did some really interesting films. I'll name just a few. Guardians of the Galaxy, Catherine Himoff worked on. Robert K. Lambert worked on Rush Hour 2. And Sean K. Lambert worked on the show Freaks and Geeks and the Larry Sanders show. It's kind of weird having that many editors. That was something that Rob Zombie actually mentioned on the director's commentary. And he said he got along fine with all of them, but apparently the studio had problems with some of them. And so they were canned and replaced with other people mid-project. That does sound like there was a lot of bullshit going on. I'll name one more thing from Catherine Himoff, because we did do a GDT right, Mm -hmm. with Kronos. She also worked on The Strain. Oh, cool. Okay, so uh, music, because, you know, we talk about music as well. Rob Zombie helped, naturally. And Scott Humphrey. Scott Humphrey worked on The Matrix, Reloaded, The Daredevil, The Longest Yard, Adam Sandler, which is pretty good. Uh, I think Scott Humphrey's studio is in his house, from what it sounded like. Rob Zombie went and... Why not? They just worked on it together. He had a lot of the ideas for it, and Scott Humphrey helped him put it together, basically, in his basement. I want to mention wrestling, just Mm -hmm. real briefly... Reason being because Scott Humphrey did a lot of soundtrack, maybe composition work on WWE video games. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm sure people have heard some of his compositions. Maybe not aware of who he is, but you've heard them. Also worked on the Blair Witch 2. Producers of this film was Andy Gold. He literally does all of Rob Zombie's films. I think it's his manager. I was about to mention Andy Gould is his longtime manager, manager for a couple other artists, too. I believe he mentioned Lionel Richie, possibly. That's pretty cool, that shit. Uh, not positive on that, but... That'd be pretty cool if he was. Maybe they have the same agent. I know that they have the same somebody. Probably not manager. Probably agent. That would make sense. But Andy Gould came in like midway through the project as things started to fuck up. 
and sort of helped make it all finally like we keep mentioning like we weren't there but from everything we keep learning is like it sounds like there was some fucking problems going on so yeah exactly there's some fuckery going on <laughs> quote bubbles it sounds like he's a lot of the reason why i guess it kind of eventually saw the light of day yeah, in a which way because awesome. he knew how to navigate all those different channels yeah and aspects yeah. just because of his experiences being a manager so it makes sense good on him all right, we did talk about production companies. Universal was a production company, and Spectacle Entertainment Group were as well, or distributors, which this is where they were having troubles with the film, was the distributor. But it did wind up being Lion Gates film. They helped release it for the 2003 United States of America's theatrical release. This film's uh, special effects team was the Howard Anderson Company, which helped with digital opticals, and Wayne Tooth helped with a lot of special effects on this. Release date, we did mention April 11th, 2003. The budget, there is some discrepancy because I've seen it lowballed as low as 3 and 4, but I've heard of upwards to $14 million for this film. The gross for it was close to $17 million for the U.S. Not bad. Pretty good return. I can imagine, like, DVD sales and things like that probably tops it oh, out. Oh, yeah. Probably, what, $30 million, probably. Somewhere around that. Anyhow, uh, you know I like my taglines. Right. All right. The most shocking tale of horror, Carnage, ever seen. Cool. Sounds kind of 70s throwbackish. Yeah. Which is a good way to describe this movie overall. Uh, and speaking of 70s throwbackish, you can start getting into the cast pretty easy yeah. with that because you got yes, Sid Haig. That's a good segue into you the cast. You got Sid Haig as Captain Spaulding. Yeah, Sid Haig. Who is uh, used in great, most of yeah. the promotional material. Very small part of the movie overall. Overall, yes. In this film, yes. In this film. I mean, kind of pivotal part, but not on screen as much as I remember that original trailer that they put out showing. Yeah, yeah. But he's a character, I mean, he's one of the characters that everybody remembers, too. Yeah, you, even you don't for, fucking forget Captain like Spaulding. I said, even for the time that he was on film, mm -hmm. people remember him. And for very obvious reasons, which we'll mention. Sid Haig did a lot of really cool shit, man. He's been around for a while. We He's mentioned. Doing, well, we've brought up black exploitation before. Yeah. He used to do shit with Pam Greer all the time back Foxy in the day. Brown. Yeah, dude. Sid Haig's been around for a bit. He also now. worked on Shaft, the TV series. I mean, he's worked on a lot of TV projects, a lot of films in the 60s, 70s, all the way up until more recent, you know, memory. I wrote down a lot of projects for him. I don't know how much we want to get into it, but. He's known for a lot of cool shit. I wrote down he was in the Batman, the 66 series, as Royal Apothecary for... Oh, to like, King Tut. Yeah, King Tut, exactly. He was also on the 67 Star Trek. Three different episodes of yeah. Get Smart. There are two, the shit out of Get Smart. There are two movies I do want to mention because one of them, I believe, is George Lucas's debut film. It's called THX-1138. Yes, he was in that. And you're right about that as well. And he was also in a James Bond film, Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> That's probably really shitty, but I don't give a fuck. Uh, he was also in Jackie Brown, once again, with Pam Greer as Judge. Oh, well, that's actually really interesting. The role in Jackie Brown was written for Haig, partially because... Haig was Tarantino's first choice to play Marcellus Wallace. Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. But he ended up not doing it. And he's mentioned Yeah, that was great taking down it. that. I listened to, since we are talking about Tarantino really briefly, Sid Haig mentioned three directors that he would work for any day of the week. I think the first one was the director of the movie Bloodbath. And he mentioned Quentin Tarantino. 
And then he also mentioned Rob Zombie. He said those were the three directors he would work for at a drop of the hat. Good. Put them in everything, Rob Zombie. Spoilers for the end of Devil's Rejects. I mean, it'll be hard to, but you could find some way to do more Firefly stories. I don't give a fuck. There would have to be prequels because they had mentioned there's no way they could do sequels for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But Sid Haig, great actor. I find it hard to believe that he's almost 80. Somebody we've gotten to bring up before. Bill Mosley. Dude, fucking love Bill Mosley. And love the reason Bill we Mosley. brought him up is because of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 and because of Toby Hooper. And overall, I'd say this movie reminds me a little bit more of Part 2 than Part 1. Uh, oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So, highly agree with that. And the reason that Bill Mosley worked on this project with Rob Zombie is Rob Zombie, I think he got an award of some sort. I can't remember exactly what, but Bill Mosley was presenting it as Chop Top. And Rob Zombie didn't realize that it was actually Bill Mosley being Chop Top. He thought it was somebody acting like Chop Top. And he's like, wow, that guy did a pretty decent job of doing a Chop Top. And anyhow, he said they wound up having conversations and forming a friendship. And he got asked to do this part. And he was like, yeah, you know, of course. So it shows because they've worked on several projects since that time as well, including Devil's Rejects. I thought it was kind of cool, man. He's worked with some really notable stars in, in the horror genre. One I'll mention really quick, Robert England, because he was in the show Freddy's Nightmares back okay. in the 80s. He worked with, well, it was Tom Savini, but he worked on Night of the Living Dead, the 1990 movie. And that ties back into George Romero. I mean, And Candyman, awesome. Tony Todd, Tom Tolls. And when you think Romero, you think zombies, and he was in Army of Darkness. I was just about to mention that, because that's Bruce Campbell, which we have in here as well. T keeps knocking him over, so he's kind of up against the wall right now. Hey, man, Bruce comes back. He always comes back. I mentioned this show several times to you, but he was on HBO's Carnival as the character Possum. He (laughs) He worked on the movie Evil Bong, which we had briefly maybe wanted to venture into for a particular holiday for us it didn't work out it, oh <laughs> fuck beans uh, <laughs> man just thinking about that pisses me off yeah. especially with how we just found them all the, yeah i was like fuck really now now we find them now we find them yeah oh, it happens next year yeah next year like I said he worked with bruce campbell of course uh tommy chong with evil bong he worked on the grindhouse i, I don't know if it was the trailer for like um, the SS um, werewolves or whatever it was, gonna mention yeah Repo the Genetic Opera. That was just about the next Largo. one, dude. That movie is really good. Oh, I love that. Movie. Really good. I'm not much into like I won't say it's a musical. I mean, it is a musical of sorts because of well, the it's a genetic opera. opera. <laughs> but it's it's one of those two like where I think of Todd Sweeney stuff like that. It's like I don't mind it when it's in that vein. I'm not much one for just you know. Happy Go Lucky is like, mm, I'm not really, I don't feel that too much. But anyhow, without me geeking out too much on that, that movie was really good. And he yeah. also was in The Blob, the 1980s He Blob. was in The Blob. You mentioned, though, Carnival. And there's which, another. Which, there's another actor yeah. to tie it across. We can link all these actors together, we I think, could, in the end. Through associations. End. William Bassett, who plays a very small part in this movie, but is worth mentioning because he was an ongoing joke on set. That's pretty funny. Because... William Bassett, you would probably best know as old Private Ryan from Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, that's it's wild, man. That's the only really project that I would recognize him from. I mean, I know he's done other work, of course, but 
I can't really think of anything. He's done a lot of voices and stuff, actually. Um, I, I've watched a bit of a Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. That's pretty and cool. And he's uh, Chief Cabinet Secretary Takakura and a few other different characters as well. Nice. He did some voices in Appleseed, Warcraft 3. Nice. Medal of Honor. He goes across the board quite a bit. You're right, though, in which uh, there's one other thing that I know I would have seen him in, but I don't actually remember. But I watched a lot of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and he was in an episode of that as Uncle Roy, and I know that I would have known that. I'm guilty of watching that show. I would have been able, like, God, when I was 15, I would have been able to tell you exactly which episode that was. But since I haven't watched it since I was, like, 17, I have no idea anymore. I know that I would have seen that episode because I watched every single one of them. I can't fucking tell you now. It's been way too long since yeah. I've seen him. Did you mention that he plays uh, Sheriff Frank Houston, right? As William Bassett. Right. Yeah, the sheriff. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's a pretty cool little credit, man. Yeah, I think we should mention her. Mention Karen Black. Oh, yeah. That's a Mom big one. Firefly, Karen Black. Yeah, I want to mention just a few projects. I mean, she's done a lot of shit. She goes way back. I'll mention a couple of older ones and then some horror films she's in. I know I've seen her in the film Easy Rider because of Jack Nicholson and Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda. If you haven't seen her in the film Easy Rider, it means you need to watch Easy Rider. <sighs> that movie's so fucking good, man. So go watch Easy Rider. Yeah, that movie's good. Then come back and re-listen to the rest of our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Here's a film that's been done several times, and I believe she was in the version with Robert Redford, but she was also in The Great Gatsby as Myrtle Wilson. Okay. She was, I'm speaking of horror films now, she was in Trilogy of Terror. And I think she was in all three parts because it was kind of like an anthology telling. Mm -hmm. She moved on to the Project Nashville, which is actually a TV series now with Connie Britton. Moving back to horror, she was in the movie Burnt Offerings. She was in another film with Jack Nicholson called Five Easy Pieces and another film called Family Plot. But she has an extensive catalog of films. I think she passed away in 2013. Yep, 2013. I mean, she has unique features. She's like, Czech, I think she's Czechoslovakian. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I know she's European. Well, I hope it's, I recognize it's, who it's she is. It's funny because that made her. me think, because we keep mentioning how far back all these guys go. I mean, so I know that Rob Zombie is a huge horror fan. Oh, this is like one of his MOs using these people. Old, old horror, old sci fi. And I'm wondering how much of it is because these people do these projects anyway, and how much of it is him seeking some of these people out. I would imagine there's... I would imagine that this one, being his first one, was probably a little bit more luck. Yeah, I can see that. Like I said, he had that chance, well, it's a chance encounter, but he did have that encounter with Bill Mosley. I do believe Sid Haig was cast for that part. I mean, he said that his agent gave him the script... And at this point, I believe in Sid Haig's career, he was kind of not wanting to do the same character. He said he didn't want to be the person aiming a gun at somebody's face. He's like, he got tired of playing that role. And he was kind of done with Hollywood. He's like, I wanted somebody who had fucking brains. <laughs> and he said he read the script. He said there was a lot of things he could do with that character. And he agreed to it, like, very the very next day. So... With that being said, it just goes to show that, yeah, when you look at Rob Zombie's catalog of films now, you start seeing familiar names, which you and I have talked about several times. Barbara Crampton being one. Dee Wallace in a few films. I know for certain, for sure, he uses Dee Wallace. I'm speaking of Rob Zombie, that is. Mm -hmm. He does like to use people who have been in the genre. So there's not a lot of actors in this film, but there's two names that are a little bit more popular now than right. they were then. Well, there's a couple. I would say yeah. off the top of my head, there's three more that I can name okay. that are more popular now than they might have been back then. 
I'm going to say, well, one of them we'll, we'll bring up for sure, Rain Wilson. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So Dwight Schrute's in this. Yes. There's another show. I know Dwight brought fucking Schrute is in this. Yeah, Dwight Schrute is in this. His character is really interesting, too, man. He's uh, he's part of that teenage group that we mentioned in so the yes, section. he suffers a horrific fate. Sorry, spoilers. Ooh, House yes, he does. A Thousand Corpses. Sorry, it's in the name. Right. People have to die. God damn it. His character is Bill Hudley in this film. And we did mention The Office. I would have seen him in Six Feet Under because he played Arthur Martin. There's been a lot of projects now since that time. Uh, we mentioned the movie Juno before. He was Rollo in the movie Juno. I uh, probably would have first seen him, not knowing it was him at the time, in uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Like I said, he's been in some a lot of shows, TV shows too. But I also rewatch The Office all the time. We like, all the time. <laughs> it's funny because when we were doing this episode before, <laughs> we tried to do it one time before. We wound up watching a The lot Office. Of the Office. Yeah. Uh, we ended up watching the last half of season three through the first half of season four of The Office, Great. which I then continued watching up until Jim and Pam's wedding. Wow. Then I kind of felt like I didn't really want to go through some of the stuff after that again, so I restarted watching back A Gay Witch Hunt, and I'm now back, uh, oh, just a little bit past Casino Night. That's wild, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, That's how much I rewatched The yeah, Office. Yeah, I mean, it's just funny that like I said, we were talking about him in this film, but we wound up watching him in The Office later on that night. <laughs> it's fucking funny. There's a few films I do want to mention Rain Wilson being in because they're really good, man. He played in the movie Hesher with uh, I love Joseph Gordon Levitt. I the movie's love fucking Hesher. boss. Fucking really good, amazing movie. He was in, also in a movie called Super because he was in Juno with Ellen Page. I it's watch fucking that. I've heard weird. Really good things. It, it's film. an indie. It's an indie film, kind of loosely about super heroes, but not really. Right. It's weird, but it's a really good film. He was in Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen. People probably would have seen him in the movie The Rocker back in the early 2000s. I think he was like a drummer for these like teenagers. Oh, okay. It's fucking weird. Anyway, he does the voice also on the show Adventure Time of Rattleballs, Sparkle, and The Peacemaker. Also, he's Dwight Schrute. And he's Dwight Schrute, once again. <laughs> and he has a nickname in this movie, which we'll mention later on. He takes, form, <laughs> yeah, he, he takes the form. He takes the form. I already fish called boy. him Fish Boy a couple times. Oh, my fault. <laughs> I spilled the beans. Fucking well, you know, boy. this is part where we, we can uh, disclaim some things. But yeah, he's Fish Boy in this. All right, so that's I can't one. help but talk to kind of spoilery about this movie. I've just watched it way too this many times. This movie's fucking... I'm thankful that we're doing this because this this movie was awesome. Especially for the time period it came out and when I seen it. Okay, it's perfect so, timing. So number two, that would be more popular now okay. than then. I'm going to still play it safe. Okay. With Chris Hardwick. That's a good one, too, because that is a part of my triumvirate of the three I was talking about. I'm still so trying to think of who one. number three is going to be, but okay. okay, we'll say Chris Hardwick. God, I mean, he hosts everything. The first thing that you've seen him on, can you remember? Possibly this. You think so? Yeah. I didn't watch some of his older shit. He was on an MTV show. Right. I didn't Game have show. MTV back then. Okay. I did. I was fortunate. He was with Jenny McCarthy back then, too. That might have been the first thing I'd seen her on that wasn't her boobs was uh, the show Singled Out on MTV. They were singling people out. They would have like a, either a male or a female contestant, and then they would have a group of you know their counterparts. I think they would ask various questions or do various things until they would single out a single person they would go on a date with. Nope, figured it out. I would have seen him on Boy Meets World. I just wouldn't have, yeah. gotten, I wouldn't have got the reference that he was playing himself from being famous from MTV. This is something that, when I was first taking my notes a couple of weeks back, I didn't write down. But 
He is the son of a famous bowler. I think his name is Bill Hardwick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, damn, I didn't know that upon first noting, but yeah, he's the son of a famous bowler. I also would have seen him on Mad TV. I love that show, man. Chris Hardwick was also on the show Mary with Children back in 1996. He was in the movie Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. He does the voice of Craig on Sanjay and Craig, the animated show. I would have seen him also on Attack of the Show on G4 TV or maybe it was Tech TV at the time. Either way, I would have seen him on that. People probably know him now for hosting Everything. Talking Dead. Fucking everything. For The Walking Dead. Yeah, he does the show. Or he did the show At Midnight on Comedy Central, which was pretty decent. It wasn't bad. Oh, he, and let's just point out the fact that the Nerdist podcast has way more listeners than we'll ever have. Oh. <laughs> you know, one thing, one thing I, I will say about Chris Hardwick, he's also a stand-up comedian. And yeah. I fucking love stand-up comedy. He does a uh, partnership with another guy. And their name of their stand-up little comedy thing there, it's called Hard and Firm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he's he does a great job in this film. Uh, I probably should mention his fucking character in this film, but he plays oh, Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith. So that's Chris Hardwick. That's two out of the three. That can you name the third one? I think you can. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, I didn't think it's about another it for gentleman. A second. Another I was gentleman. thinking main cast, but that's another guy who has kind of a bit part. Mm-hmm. He sure does. But is involved in one of my favorite scenes of all time. Nice. Walton Goggins is in it. Yes. This. That would have rounded up my three. Walton Goggins is in this Steve film. Steve Nash. Yeah, Steve Nash. He's fucking good in this film. But uh, he's also from Alabama. Here's a film I probably would have seen him in, but would not have recognized him in. But he was in The Next Karate Kid, which gets oh. mistaken as the third Karate Kid. It's not. No. It's the fourth one. Even though it does have Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi again. With Hilary Swank. Hilary Swank. Yeah, but like, he played Charlie in that film. We mentioned this film, or at least this franchise, because he was also in another version of it called Major League Back to the Miners. He was right. in that movie. He was in the movie The Crow, Salvation. He was in Shanghai Noon, The Born Identity. Then he started getting into some TV series. Well, I was going to say, I love him in Sons of Anarchy, being yes. a giant Sons of Anarchy fan. Venus he Van Damme? Is- fantastic as venus i couldn't believe how hard i was shipping venus and tig i mean and it went falling through i guess but it's awesome i love Django unchained yeah he's in Django unchained as uh, billy crash he's in machete kills as el chameleon uno number one he was in justified as boyd crowner now because he wasn't really supposed to have a big role on that show but because of his chops they wrote that character through several seasons I never did watch the show, but I knew enough about Walton Goggins that that's what happened for him. He was also in The Hateful Eight. He's on a show with Danny McBride on HBO. Highly recommend it. It's funny as hell. It's a show called Vice Principals. Go and watch that. The show okay. is really good. I know I mentioned this film because it's a Dustin Hoffman film. He was in the remake of Straw Dogs. Oh, okay. So that's Walton Goggins. Like you said, that was the three. There's also... Tom Tolls, which Tom we did. Tolls, we've hit on in. Henry. Well, we didn't hit on. No, we didn't hit on. <laughs> Although if we he would have hit, hit on, but we would have hit on. <laughs> no, he would have hit on. In Henry, he was fantastic in Henry. He yeah. continues to be fantastic in this. He's another one that passed away not too long ago, unfortunately. I told a little story about him in the Henry episode. I'll rehash it here in a little bit. He played Sheriff Waddell. Yep, Sheriff Waddell. You have Dennis Fimple's Grandpa Hugo. Yeah, fucking Hugo. Dennis Fimple was in uh, some pretty cool stuff, man. I did write some things down for him. Reason being, 
because he's another one that passed away. I think right before this film was released, well, August like two thousand two. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would have seen him possibly on the show Mash as Sergeant Sparky Pryor. He was in the show Kung Fu as Riley. I think he only did an episode. He was in The Spectre of Edgar Allan Poe. He was in the 1976 King Kong film as Sunfish. He worked on Twilight Zone, the television series back in 1986. He was Jesus. in the movie Maverick with Mel Gibson. In possibly, no, maybe not my favorite Mel Gibson movie. No. because It's not bad, though. Because, like, Lethal Weapon exists, obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, he, Mad Max. Mad Max Fucking exists. right, man. Conspiracy theory that exists too, right? But I fucking I dig Maverick a lot. It's a good film, man. It's it's a, like card dealing, all mm-hmm. western, you know. But yeah, he was in Maverick as stuttering, and he was also in the film Down Periscope as a fisherman. So I would have seen him in a few projects, but most notably in this film is Hugo Grandpa. Yeah, Grandpa Hugo. We didn't mention the show Carnival. I want to get back to it because there is another guy that plays <sighs> Tiny, which is a funny oh, nickname. Tiny Matthew McGrory. Yep. I would have probably seen him first in Carnival, no shit, because he was giant. That was the name of his character in the show, because he was in it with Bill Mosley, and he was also in it, I know we mentioned The Adventures of Pete and Pete, but Toby Huss. I probably would have seen him first on Charmed. I wrote him down as Ogre. (laughs) I probably would have seen him first on Charmed. I think he got an unaccredited role in Men in Black as like a tall alien or Mm -hmm. something like that, but uh, I would have seen him also in Bubble Boy as the human Sasquatch. My sister does not like that film. She likes Jake Gyllenhaal a lot. I do too. I love that film. My man. brother loved that movie. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> it's goofy. It's a goofy comedy. I like it. I admit. I've seen it way too many times at this point because of my too. brother. So I could probably do without it for another 10 years at It's least, one of those films. I would clump it with like maybe. I don't dislike it. That's no. For sure. It's like if you like Dude, Where's My Car and stuff like that, you'd probably I like that film. Dude, Where's My Car. I'm saying. It's one of those films you could watch every so often. It wouldn't be too bad. But if you watch it too much, you could burn out on it. But yeah, we're still talking about Matthew McGorry. Uh He was also in Big Fish. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, a lot of people probably know him from Big Fish. That's a good film. I went and seen that in the theater when it came out. Yeah, I don't know. Big guy. <laughs> yeah, a tall guy. He passed away, too, like in... Oh, 05. Like, oh, 05, yeah. I know Seven it was in foot, early 2000s. six inches. Fucking tall guy. I mean, you can't help but notice him in this film or any other project that he was in. I do want to mention another character in this film as a part of the, uh, the family, RJ. Robert Allen Mukes. Yeah, Mr. Mukes. He was in some pretty cool projects. I mean, aside from this, I think this helped launch his career in, into other projects. He said he was mostly doing commercial work and I think some, like, maybe some bedtime stuff on TV until they got this project. But from that point, he wound up doing projects like Slumber Party Slaughter. He was in the film Bone Tomahawk. I've heard good things about that. I'm I gonna, have I want to see it. I've seen a lot of people reviewing it, which yeah. is like, hmm, that's cool that they are. Maybe we'll keep, have, the, yeah. keep that in mind. The film Coffin Part 2, the movie Backwoods. I have also would have seen him on another HBO show, which is more recent. It's a really good show. Highly recommend it. Westworld. He played the character Behemoth. Yeah. Would have seen him in that. That's a great show, man. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to be starting it soon. It's good. I uh, like it. There's, there's too much shit that I watch. That's the only reason I haven't got to it yet. I feel really bad, too, because I really like the original movie. And was super excited when they announced that they were going to do the show. And, like, kept people updated with the production and then never watched it myself. <laughs> yeah. There, I know there's a lot more people. I'll just breeze through them because I didn't write down any film credits. I know a few things, like... Uh, Aaron Daniels. Aaron Daniels. I would have known her because she was on the show, The L Word. And, uh, That's about the only thing I would have known her from, I think. Likewise. Uh, she does a really good job in this film as well. 
Jennifer Justin, she plays Mary Knowles. She's a part of the other uh, teenager, which they're not... I find it hard to believe they're teenagers. They're, I would say they're more like 20-somethings. But that kind of rounds out, I think, the family, the kids. We talked about Tom Tolls, Walton Goggins, William Bassett. We didn't talk about Joe Dobbs, Joe Dobbs the third. Reason being, because he doesn't have a big part in this film, but he has a fucking funny part in this film, because he plays the character Jerry Ober. Oh, Goober. Yeah, Goober. <laughs> That shit's funny, but he's in this film. Well, I know the, who we haven't talked about yet. There's one big one that we're missing, and I was going to kind of oh, yeah, save yeah. till last, because I believe this would have been the film debut of Sherry Moon. Oh, fuck yeah. Well, duh. Yeah, duh. So, Damn, one of the things when I started delving into the internet at a young age, about the time, you know, the, well, young-ish age, right. I'd, I'd been on the internet for a number of years before, but... Around this, the time this movie finally came out in 2003, I would have been uh, like 16 or so. So yeah. I'm really, you know, at 16, you're you're delving the far corners of the internet. Know you know what, what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're old enough now where you're, you've been doing some research at this point. You're getting deep in there. You know and this was shit. back in the day, back when shit was way more of a free-for-all back this then. Way. I feel like during that It was time slower, period, but it was way more of a No, if you had cable you were the shit in that yeah. time period. Now it's like it's common. You had to be willing to wait. I was willing to wait. Yeah. So, as I had delved into the internet, I found out how much hatred it contained, and how surprisingly how much hatred was going towards Rob Zombie movies. I still don't understand <laughs> I still that. don't understand it. I love them myself. But one of the criticisms that come up over and over yeah. again is that he has to put his wife in his movies. <laughs> you know what I would say to them? Fuck you. He put them in all his fucking music videos. What makes you think he's going to change? Right? And I will say this. She does very well in most of all his projects. Everything that I've seen her in, excluding maybe uh, Halloween, Halloween, I would say she does a really fucking good job. And if you don't take my word for it, watch her in Lords of Salem. Then make your mind up. She does a fucking I thought she did a great that. job in that. Yeah. She definitely carried that movie as much as she needed to. Could there have still been somebody that could have cast that above, oh, elevated course. it? Possibly. But she did what she needed to do. The movie still ends up being fantastic. Really good, man. And her character of Baby is very iconic. Yes. And maybe even, I'd say Baby and Otis both get just even ratcheted up to even better proportions in the sequel, too. Yeah, so I agree. And she's a huge part of that. Yeah, because there's a whole reason why he cast her. I mean, aside from the fact that, yeah, this is his wife, not everybody has to include their spouse or partners in projects. Yeah, this is her debut film, just as much as his, and she does a great job, man. And like I said, if you've seen this I do film, suppose you've probably seen all, all his films. By the time this was released, they were married, but they weren't married when this was being made. But they had been going out for like seven years. That would make so. sense, considering. Then that's why I believe she's credited as Sherry Moon at that point. Yeah, as opposed to Sherry Moon Zombie. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense. I can't believe we didn't mention her. I was kind of I was kind of holding back because she is like the criticism that comes up when it comes to Rob Zombie movies. Eh, like they can shove it. Yeah, I think she does a great job, especially as baby. Like she brought some things to this role. Let's get into it. I want to talk more about this movie. Yeah, I mean, we've already talked a lot about this movie. Yeah, we've already talked a lot about this movie. Let's talk more about this movie and how to make you squeal. We gave you a warning. You know what it's about. Let's get to it. Let's get it. How does that make you squeal? We squealing. Dun, 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 dun. We're squealing. I ain't squealing on you, but I'm squealing on myself. I'm squealing everywhere. When you came in, the credits were rolling. They were. And that's because I had just watched this movie two times in a row. 
Like, I love this movie. This it used to be great. one that I would put on, like, back in college. My own college roommate probably watched it way more times than he ever wanted to. But I <laughs> picked up a, a copy of it for, like, $5 at a pawn shop. Yes. Uh, the DVD that had the animated menu with Captain Spaulding. So even if you just left the menu going, there was just, like, 10 minutes or so of footage. Maybe not that much. I don't remember for sure. But it seemed like there was a lot of Still shit. Still entertaining. Of fucking Captain Spaulding just, like, fucking chewing you out and making fun of you for not fucking picking anything on the menu and shit. It's awesome. Oh my God. It was so great. Watched it so many times. Now have the Blu-ray was able to catch like way more things in the background. Just how like detailed the whole thing was. It does make a big difference from seeing like a standard shot. And then of course, you know, high definition Blu-ray and all that good stuff. On a way bigger screen than my old, like fuck, I still had like a big old fucking giant fucking TV in college, man. That's understandable. I hadn't even got me my fucking flat screen or anything yet. Yeah, dude. I don't know how I got that in my fucking dorm room. But now, like, it's on my fucking big-ass TV, taking it in. Oh, it was so great. It's been one of my favorites for a long time. Here's a question for you. When was the first time you remember watching this film or seeing this film? I can't remember for sure. Uh, I remember the circumstances. I don't remember for sure what year it was. It must have been... It must have been 04... Because I saw it in August. I might have seen it in 03. Okay. Oh, maybe. More than likely it was 04, though. I think for myself it was around 04. And the reason I remember that is because we were just talking about New York a little bit. Because, uh, you know, never forget. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even talk about that. Never forget. Yeah, today's never forget day. Never forget. Yeah, Virginia Madsen's birthday. Yeah, it's Virginia Madsen's birthday. And it's also... The day that Candyman released in Toronto. Yeah, I'll never forget. Never forget. September 11th, 1992, and Virginia Madsen's birthday. That's right. So it's Never Forget Day. Never Forget Day. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> We're the worst people. <laughs> Not necessarily. Uh, no. But I remember I watched it in August, and I believe it was around the same time as the county fair. So it would have been the first weekend in August. Okay. And I was hanging out with my buddy Spike. I don't know if he listens to this. He lives here in town now. I know he gets down. Oh, well, you're a spike, movies. man. Shout out Mike, to Spike. What's up, buddy? It's been a bit. Listen to my shit. Yeah, man. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> but I had heard of it because I had seen that trailer that they had put out. Because there was a little bit of promotion put out, but then it still took a while to get distributed. And so it had been kind of on my radar. And I was a fan of Rob Zombie. And so it was also kind of on my radar. Like, oh shit, he did oh, this man. fucking movie. And I would have been. 17, 18 at the time, too. So, like, okay. fucking little young, angry metalhead <laughs> and fucking shitty rural town and stuff. Like, yeah, I want to see me some fucking awesome horror movies by some badass metal guy. Let's yeah, do dude. this. Blah. Fucking House of a Thousand Corpses sounds so fucking metal. Like, and there's the song, obviously, too. And it was too hot or something. We decided to bug out back to his place during the fair one of the afternoons three-day fair like fuck it let's, let's bug out for a couple hours we went back and he's like oh dude have you seen this yet and he threw it on and pff, never went back never went back i love that movie i got tried to watch it every chance i got after that for a bit uh, awesome. i didn't get my own copy of it till college though so yeah i think probably around the same time for me as well around 2004 ish it's one of those films that my brother and i caught like late at night so we were early 20s 22 23 yeah i think it was like maybe on the ifc channel as a part of the Halloween series, whatever. I remember watching it late at night, and just the whole film itself, you know, you know what I mean? Just, like, it blew me away at that time period. I was like, this film is what fucking horror films is about. And, yeah, same thing. as like, once it got distributed and put out on DVD, one got myself a nice copy of it. 
Well, and I was going to say, as soon as I got a copy of it, and it's funny that you saw it on like a, like a Halloween thing. Yeah, I'm almost certain it was in October when I'd seen um, it. Ever since I had my own copy, it's part of my leading up into Halloween movie rotation. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, it's I great. Have a, I have a few certain movies that I try to, as best I can, marathon all in a row. But if not, at least like in the week leading up to Halloween or so. And this is one of them. It's a great film to get into the holiday spirit. It's the second one. Yeah. Yeah, we had mentioned, I think, maybe even on our first episode, some of the films that we rotate in mm-hmm. in Halloween. I start with The Crow. <laughs> That's not bad, man. Because it's set on Devil's Night, and I usually try to do it the night before Halloween. Devil's yeah, night, there are so. films that I try to sit around. And then I go to House of a Thousand Corpses, yeah. because most of it is also set on Devil's Night. Right. That's part of the reason why I like Night of the Demons, because it's set on the same night. And then I go straight into Devil's Rejects. And then Trick or Treat. That's one this year that I'm putting in the rotation for some family members. And then sometimes, you know, before, because I, I like Halloween a lot and I like horror movies a lot, yeah. obviously. Fucking, I talk to you about them every goddamn week. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Um, like sometimes before I actually officially started with The Crow, I'll have worked in some other ones like Reanimator. Yes. Uh, or like Dead Alive. Yeah, that's usually one. And that'll sometimes get in there. after Trick or Treat. Like, I'll still be in the mood for, like, another horror movie, so I'll just, like, flip through and be like, oh, shit, I haven't seen this yet, and I'll, or I'll plop it on, or be like, oh, you know what, fucking Tremor sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> there's, uh, speaking of the pawn shop, man, find some pretty good films for the low, low, so I'm like, yes, I found Critters, and I found Tremors, and all kinds of cool shit, man, so there's some films that I'll get myself into the holiday spirit with, more so than others in previous years, mm-hmm. well, you know, we'll get and into And I'm, I'm kind of curious, now that I've... I've been looking for excuses to rewatch some of the movies we've done on this podcast, so I'm kind of wondering what my actual lineup's going to end up looking like this year. Yeah, it's going to change things up a little bit. It's going to change things up. I could very well see maybe Found making it in. Yeah. Maybe Savage Land making it in. Yeah, there's some films, like I said, that we've covered that I'm. I might use it as an excuse to finally watch Headless. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I promise you won't be disappointed with that one. I'm not sure yet, though. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I, like, the nice thing is we have options. You we have, have options. options. Yeah. It's coming up. There's a couple movies I know I'll watch for sure, though, and this is probably going to be one of them. Once yeah. Again. It's really cool that, you know, we're doing a film that just so happens to have a character who has clown makeup. Oh, yeah. Weird timing, right? Yeah. It wasn't done intentionally. We did not do so that happens. on purpose. We just got tired of, like, talking about Rob Zombie so often. Yeah, it was like we... And not having done Rob any Zombie of his film. movies. Chiso happened to coincide with the release of It. And us doing the miniseries and our take on the new release, which is funny that it just came out this weekend, and I'm still buzzing about it. As I was just thinking back, because you had asked me about the first time I watched this movie, I was thinking back and trying to remember it, and I don't think I realized, other than the obvious like kids versus killer family aspect, yeah. I don't think I realized how much of it was really an homage to just 70s kind of across the board. That's a good point. Maybe first time. I just took it for what it was worth to me. Not necessarily like what he was trying to get across as far as, his, like you said, his homages. And now uh, you can probably see it. But then years later when I got my own copy, that was in the midst of me going into a lot of horror movies. Like that's my freedom in college. Yeah. I drank, okay, I did drink a lot of beer. But the thing was like all that sudden freedom I had in my life was very much like, oh shit, now I can finally have the time to finish this video game. I have the yeah. time to do this. Like I don't have to deal with all that other bullshit. My time's now mine. 
Some people say it's a waste of time, but it depends on what you, you consume your time with. And so, like, it was during that time period that I first watched Cannibal Holocaust, actually. Yeah, pretty good time period, too, for films and these distributors, because in the early 2000s, man, maybe late 90s, early 2000s, there was a big boom of horror films specifically getting released by these different distribution companies. I know this because during that time period, I was snatching up fucking horror films left and right because there was things I had never seen before and I knew how often will you see these in this format. Like I said, how many people do you think actually know about these films on top of it? So yeah, I went and snagged those fucking films up. That really got me into like being a connoisseur of horror films as opposed to just somebody who liked watching them and renting mm-hmm. them. And... I had a much faster internet connection, and so I was able to finally just read about even the things that I wasn't yeah. able to watch because I didn't have access to it quite yet. I was at least able to read about and finally have these connections much faster than before because I was on dial-up at home still. So We know how that shit is. I was at dial-up on home still. This yeah. was up. My folks well, had dial-up until yeah, I was like 20 years old. <laughs> well, that part of where I lived in, uh, but when I South got to Carolina, college like, at eighteen, I wasn't having to deal with that. Yeah. And so suddenly, while I was at college, I was able to just feed all that wanting to know about these different things. It's, like, it's a liberating feeling. That's where I first read about Takashi Miike, even yeah. though I wouldn't see Ichi till a couple of years later. And like, yeah, that's interesting. Like, so that, that time period, we had found this film possibly around the same time. You know. Mm-hmm. We didn't know each other, of course, but also during that time period, that's when that I was collecting films and specifically looking for things and reading, like you were saying, about directors and, you know, all these really cool films from all over the world. So, yeah, man. And so then after inundating myself with it and then rewatching it, I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, this is really neat. Like, yeah. look at all these crazy shit things that he's doing. I, I didn't understand how beautiful this film can kind of be before. And I was even talking with one of our friends the other day, and he likes, I think a lot of people consider Devil's Rejects to be the superior movie. Mm-hmm. And I kind of agree with him. I have a hard time. It's like picking between my children. But <laughs> I know what you mean. I'm not quite sure. I might have to rewatch them both again and try to recall it i would have said for sure devil's rejects for a long time but now that i've rewatched this movie like five times this week i would have a hard time choosing that too i mean i would i'm kind of leaning towards house to be honest that's my gut reaction because that was the film that for me like i almost felt like at during that time period for me like that was a perfect horror film but one of our buddies that's really into movies who might end up appearing on this later on in the future yeah He's like, no, house all the way for me, because it's like this weird snapshot into his imagination at times. You have these weird interludes where he filmed on a fucking camcorder in his basement like a year later during the editing process, just so they'd have shit to cut in. The whole like opening sequence, to sort of start in on the movie, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The whole opening sequence he filmed, the actual title sequence, he filmed with just like a camcorder during the editing process, because they didn't have a fucking title sequence. Just went cool, out huh? and shot weird shit like fucking sunsets and colorized them. And Why not? It worked. It, yeah. It's really awesome, man. I mean, overall, the story isn't something we haven't seen before. No, it's I just think Texas it's... Chainsaw. Yeah, it's just the way it's told, or maybe retold. You get in some of the added, weirder added elements. Usually when you run into that first gas station attendant, yeah. they're trying to warn you away because they actually want you to stay away. Yeah. Captain Spaulding did try to warn them away. But it's because he thought they were asshole kids and he didn't want to have to fucking deal with them. Exactly. He was like, <laughs> considering, right, the interest that they took in his curiosities. It's funny, too, because just previously or prior to that, 
they had to uh, execute some robbers or would-be robbers. Oh, my God. Dude, this movie's so funny, too. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's kind of how it kicks it off with those guys coming in. They're just talking about this guy likes to play with his dick. <laughs> Little dick wick. So I thought that was really cool because there's a really cool line that kind of Captain Spaulding kicks off the film with. I would kind of The great thing to about say. both of the movies, and this one starts it off from the beginning, is that it makes you root for the bad guys. It does, but there's no redeeming qualities about these people. There's no redeeming qualities about Captain Spaulding. No. Other than he's fucking funny. <laughs> I like funny people. I like funny people. <laughs> However, but, 95% of his lines, he's insulting somebody yeah. directly. To being the face. Being an asshole. You watch him kill two people or have a hand in killing two people. And the very next scene, yeah. you're still laughing at him as he makes fun of the other assholes. Yeah, and it's really funny. It just so happens that this group of, I'm doing air quotes, right? Yeah. Teenagers. Oh, teenagers. <laughs> yeah. There's no way Chris Hardwick and Rain Wilson and the ladies in this film. Dwight Schrute, Hardwick. Hardwick. Nerdist himself. What was it Mary and what was the other girl's name? They're completely unlikable. That's another thing that Rob Zombie said he cut was that there was a couple other scenes that just made the girlfriends look like even bigger bitches. And he's like, we don't want people to be actively rooting for them to die. He realizes like after the final cut, like he kind of talks about it in the director's commentary. He's like, look, going back through this, like, yeah, they, I, I don't know why you would ever want them to live, but we didn't want them like actively rooting for them to die. It's interesting how all that stuff plays out throughout the film. But our first encounter with them is just the fact that you get the stereotypical responsible guy, uh, stereotypical irresponsible guy. And the irresponsible guy didn't fill up the gas more than like $2. They just so happened to see a sign for Captain Spaulding's. That's where you get their encounter and their curiosity because the shop is full of fucking... Curios. Yeah. Fiji really cool mermaids stuff. and all sorts of just awesome pickle shit. Pickle baby parts. <laughs> yeah. Pick, pickle no, human uh, parts. There's some Aleister Crowley. Crowley shit on there. There's actually a missing poster of two little boys, yeah. and the pictures are Rob Zombie and his brother, Spider One, of Power Man 5000. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, half-brothers. That's Which, cool. uh, the funny thing is, you'll notice through a lot of Rob Zombie music, there's lots of, like, 50s, 60s, 70s horror references. Yeah. And through a lot of Power Man 5000 stuff, there's a lot of 50s, 60s, 70s sci-fi references, <laughs> and it's because they grew up watching those movies together. That's really cool. <laughs> Think yeah. about it. I mean, I mean, I I don't know if that's absolute fact, but that's what I'm theorizing. Like, they pull references from the same time periods, and they're nerds in certain categories. Yeah, I, think, I mean, it's if you boil it down, it's bound to happen. Inspiration <laughs> comes from all kinds of sources. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so like I said, we get the encounter, and the encounter just so happens to be that they're writing like some kind of journal about their travels and finding the odd kind of things on side attractions on the highways or interstates, right? Captain Spaulding, it seems like he's getting a little offended by the questions. And the funny thing is, though, you never know how offended he really is because right. he's also kind of Got fucking to. with them because he's an easy target. These kids don't know fucking shit as far shit. as he's concerned. Yeah. Which, I mean, and he is a fucking psycho fucking killer. They have that right. That's kind of kicks things off, maybe piques the curiosity a little bit more than it should have. Yeah, the murder ride. Yeah, they have the murder Dr. ride. Satan. Yeah, dude. That's really cool because it goes through a short span of serial killers. So apparently the way the murder ride was set up on the soundstage wasn't like sets, right? but 
basically like an actual ride. And so you can actually get in the cart and push it through That's basically awesome. what you see in the movie. That's awesome, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Who that would have been fun. Dude, I would have made somebody fucking push me through. I would have been like, take me on the goddamn murder ride. Do you remember <laughs> the serial killers on that ride? Albert Fish. Yeah, there's definitely Well, Albert Lizzie Fish. Borden, right? Yep, Lizzie Borden. Gein. Ed Gein. Which right? we have Bill Mosley mm-hmm. making sure his first appearance in the movie. He's Ed Gein in the oh, film oh, footage. Oh, 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 yeah, he is. He certainly is. There is film footage of Ed Gein that they were originally going to use and then decided it'd be cheaper just to shoot their own with Bill Mosley. It makes sense. And apparently the Albert Fish stuff has a longer sequence, too, where there was a subplot. They thought it was really funny how he liked to get spanked with fucking nail paddles. And so they built a little like subplot and a little scene with him and his assistant, who they named Kenny, spanking him and shit. Like. <laughs> Spank me, Kenny. <laughs> I mean, Albert knock, Fish knock. was in some crazy... Yeah, knock, knock. Who's there? Kenny. Kenny who? Tiny fucked stump. <laughs> <laughs> this shit is fucking funny. People might not know the reference. Uh, Whatever. It's an Easter egg. Go go look for it. <laughs> Tiny fucked stump. Tiny fucked a stump. Those um, knock, knock jokes are good. Yeah, so the right. <laughs> Get back to the right and then, serial killers. Eventually, after it's up. Gein, it's Dr. Satan. Yeah, and who is Dr. Satan? So, Dr. Satan's the local serial killer, did this and that. It sounded like it kind of was alluding to like an evil Willowbrook type. It was Weeping Willows. So. Yeah, Weeping Willows Hospital. So, Willowbrook, we talked to. No, we, we haven't, haven't talked about yet. Not yet. Oh. Not that one. Oh, it's just because I've brought up Cropsey before. Yeah. Which involves Willowbrook. Exactly. I know which one that is all about. Yeah. Uh, Willowbrook's the infamous... That's a really fucked up story. ...mental hospital yeah. that... God, Geraldo? Was yeah, he I've, the one to do the... But it was just I've fucking, seen a later documentary about mm, it. Yeah. The breaking one showed, like, as it was... Deplorable situations. Just deplorable situations. Patients just, like, wallowing in their own filth. Yeah, it's just, just like... It's sad when you think about the conditions that these poor people are already in with their mental state. And then you have to live with these conditions in a hospital. Yeah. Ooh, um, it's fucked up. But they made basically Satan... Didn't he Dr. perform Satan, like lobotomies and shit? It, it sounded to me like he was basically Yosef Mengele, yeah. the angel of death from World War II, Holocaust, <laughs> Yeah. put in Willowbrook. That's a good point. That's that basically what right. it was... It sounded like it was supposed to be. Makes sense. Consider Which, I mean, this is kind of an exploitation film, so Nazi-influenced, sort of a Josef Mengele-type character makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there's no outright Nazi influence, but a Josef Mengele character would make sense. Yeah, considering, like I said, during that time period, perhaps. What happens eventually, I think it's maybe a little Frankenstein-ish, because doesn't he get chased with fire and... Then they eventually lynch him. They lynch him, but... The next day, his body's disappeared, and no one's found him to this day. And maybe he lives next door to you. <laughs> and one of my favorite scenes, right after that, you get Chris Hardwick running out. <laughs> For me, it's like one of those infamous scenes that I associate with this film is Chris Hardwick doing that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's like, you might want to calm down there, Jerry. I mean, they get him to give him directions to the Dr. Satan tree. Yeah, because they're curious about the Dr. Satan story. I mean, like, hey, and well, at this point, they're code. set up. Yeah. That is a huge setup. Because if they just would have listened to him in the beginning. He's like, hell, boy. And that's the funny thing. Like, usually that guest attendant, that character in this type of movie, is yeah. generally trying to look out for the people. This one, he just doesn't want to deal with them. 
And if they would have listened, they would have been fine. Yeah, well, you know, that's it is their own fault. Curiosity killed the cat. As I was watching through this movie, and since this is the spoiler section, the thing that stood out to me as I was really sitting here thinking about it is that the only reason any of them at that point in the movie, the only reason any of them live as long as they do is because they continue to play along. The second at that point that they back out and try to get out of that situation, they're dead. Or at least captured for later killing. Because the family's not willing to let a victim off the hook. No, not when they If they, they got start f- truly fighting back, they're fucked. Yeah, that's when, yeah, all bets are off at that point. But until then, they'll fuck with them. I would much rather be fucked with than getting... I I'll play along all day, just don't, don't kill say, me. Yeah. I can, I can... I'll be your live-in pet, yeah. just don't kill me. <laughs> yeah, we can do experiments. <laughs> but uh, what I wanted to mention, too, is... Earlier, too, during that robbery sequence, I did want to mention, there was a line one of the robbers says to Spaulding. He talks about blasting his, like, grease stain. His like, grease monkey, paint. Yeah. Yeah, monkey brains. And that's a reference to Rob Zombie's song. Oh. White Zombie. Yeah. It's like, that was pretty cool. Actually, I think my uh, brother-in-law pointed that out to me. I said, that's kind of an interesting line. He's like, oh, yeah, that was definitely a reference. It's like, cool. Like, one point for Jeff. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, all right, so you're right. They get the directions to the gallows, I guess, or the tree, right? The doctor's And on the tree. way there, pick a baby first. Yeah, they pick up baby first. But right before that, Denise actually makes a phone call to her dad, letting her dad know that they're going to be a little bit late. Her because dad. Because they stopped. Currently living in the Cleaver household. Yeah. And who are the Cleavers? As in Leave It to Beaver. Leave It to Beaver. Beaver Cleaver. Shot back on in the set. day. So a lot of this movie was shot on the Universal backlot. Yeah. And so that scene involves him sitting in the cleaver house and when he looks across the street at the trick-or-treaters when he mentions oh the trick-or-treaters are out tonight because tomorrow night's a school night yeah he's looking at the monster's house that's pretty cool isn't it in that sequence i know we said it was a harken back to 1970 but the date is actually october 30th 1977 oh there we go 77 is a very infamous year for horror films for obvious Mm. reasons but yeah did want to mention that because i'd feel like Maybe we need to mention that. For Halloween type reasons? Never forget. <laughs> Never forget. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. So they pick up Oh, I baby. forgot. And that's the reason he knows yeah. to even be worried about him, basically. Yeah, and uh, so... Pick up baby. Baby's hitchhiking. The pick up baby. Baby sits in the front, and eventually it starts to downpour, right? Baby's a psycho. Baby is a psycho. She's doing It becomes kind of evident a little bit pretty yeah. quick in. But you're right. Once they pull into the property... That's where RJ. Yeah, RJ shoots out the tire. They don't know that. They just know that they're t- they caught a flat. And they're fucked. So this happened. is Hills Have Eyes right now. Yeah, they're this, fucked now. That's exactly what that is. Yeah, because it does feel like that family. Yeah, and it's people out where they shouldn't be in the fucking first place. Yeah, they told them stay off them roads. That was shouldn't be in the fucking first place. Spalding in the film, like that old little kooky fucking guy. That's exactly what that is. But then once they're in that, see, it's hills have eyes until they're actually in the house. Then it changes. And then it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, see, that's cool. High five. That's a cool connection right there. And we're about to get to the house because oh fuck, my house is just up the road from here. So what happens is Baby winds up taking Rain Wilson into the house, and Chris Harwick and the ladies stay behind in the car. They're waiting on her brother, who's going to come with the tow truck to come fix the car. All right. So as Baby and Rain Wilson are on the doorsteps, you get those dolls, those heads and shit from dolls, and it's already creepy. And so they, she likes to pluck their heads and decorate it, for, I guess, for mm-hmm. Halloween and shit. So he scares him too. Here's the other thing for shooting on the Universal back lot. Yeah, 
the, the house, house yeah. is the best little whorehouse in Texas. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, you're right, because we were talking about uh, the tram lines running through. <laughs> uh, which they wouldn't stop for them. I think sometimes they might have been able to get them to stop. They said they would try to stop them just for a brief, you know, maybe 10 minutes or whatever. But so they, they get some scene shot. But even you, though Universal was financing it, they yeah. wouldn't stop their tram ride for them to make sure that they could still pull off shots. I told you, I listened to... I'll, I'll mention this. And the Jaws ride would also fuck up shots. That's funny, dude. Bill Mosley talked about, like I said, being a character, you know, like having his makeup and shit. I won't say it, what happens, but he said that they would go out there, you know... To mm-hmm. try to stop them, because he said what would happen is when those trams were, you know, coming by with tourists, he said there would inevitably be, be somebody in there saying, "And on the right, this is where Rob Zombie's House of One Thousand Corpses is being shot, and as you can see right now, they're filming live on location." <laughs> right? and he Which said, obviously you then can't use that shot. Yeah, and he said this would happen like every ten to fifteen minutes. Yeah. You know, he said, but yeah, on occasion they would try to send like a personal assistant out to wave them down so they can get some scene shot a lot of the stuff right outside the house was shot at different times and in different places especially when they're on the road sometimes the road is on the universal back lot sometimes it's actually out in the middle of fucking nowhere like somewhere in california Mm -hmm. they would shoot certain scenes you're right but the house is the best little whorehouse in texas and apparently they completely redid the inside it was a livable house like it wasn't just like certain rooms were set up and other rooms were set aside they did the whole house because they didn't know what they were going to use and what they weren't that doesn't mean that you're always in the house when you see some of the other house rooms. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. At least one of the times, Otis's room was something that they were put together in a soundstage later on because they needed the extra footage for the Fishboy sequence. <laughs> yes. And Tiny's room wasn't actually shot in the house either. I can see that. That would make sense. But they did redo the entire inside. It was a livable house. It wasn't just a set, which came with its own problems. They basically built everything, even when they did build set things, being the first movie they ran into, they gave themselves their own problems, I guess, Yeah. because things like parts of the house and later on the Dr. Satan tunnels, Oh yeah. they built them like they were tunnels mm-hmm. and didn't think about the fact that they were going to have to get lighting in there, that they were going to have to get cameras in there. Yeah. There's some really cool sequences in those tunnels, too, that when we get to, I want to talk about. I guess that whole point, like I said, with Bill, Rain Wilson, and Baby, so they finally get in the house, and she's flirting really heavy with them with hot chocolate and fucking with his glasses and whatever. She's really flirty, and then eventually they have to go back out. And this is where they get the jump scare oh, with RJ. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead and mention. Uh, go ahead and mention. I'm sorry. We were talking so much about Dr. Satan. Yeah. There's so yeah. much information. We I, should I let it slip my mind. When they're doing the Dr. Satan part... And the murder ride. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple flashes to Dr. Satan working. Now, the original plan was for Dr. Satan to be Grandpa. Oh, nice. Yeah, so yeah, in, yeah. So in those flashes, the guy in the scrubs is Dennis Fimple. That's awesome. As Grandpa Hugo, as Dr. Satan. But they Grandpa. eventually just sort of didn't like that idea, and they, yeah. they sort of scrapped it very quickly into production and changed the story some. Well, even in the beginning, too... Rob Zombie was supposed to be the host of that. Was it Dr. Dr. Wolfenstein? Yeah, and they used somebody else. But he wound up being the assistant. And you can see him for a second smashing a pumpkin. Yeah, so that was... I like that sequence a lot, too. That's fucking awesome. But that's pretty cool about Dennis Pimple. So, yeah, so during that Dr. Satan sequence, he's Dr. Satan, but he's not actually Dr. Satan in the movie. Exactly. Somebody completely different. Sorry, then we'll pop back forward to the house. Yeah. Uh, Baby's flirting. Eventually, everybody gets there. 
Yeah, that, or RJ winds up coming yeah. out. Uh, one of the ladies in the back, I think it might have been Mary. She thinks she hears noises. They turn on the lights. It's RJ. They get spooked. He winds up hitching the car. They get inside the house. When they get inside the house, that's where they meet Mama. That's one other thing that I found really interesting that Rob's brought up in the commentary was the actor that plays RJ is almost seven foot tall. He's like 6'11", something like that. Well, you know what? We actually do see Otis... Before they go into the complex, Otis is with the cheerleaders because there is that, oh the they do the cut yeah. which I, mean, I remember even watching exposition. I remember even watching the first time I'm like oh so he's Marilyn Manson I mean not Marilyn Manson uh, Charles, Charles Manson Man- but, but, yeah you're right <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I was thinking a little Manson. bit more his drawn out fucking pale looks but yeah I remember I even the very that. first time I watched that I was like oh so he's Charles Manson that's what I'm watching right now is fucking Charles Manson just being allowed to go fucking nutters here was a scene too right before RJ goes out and spooks them is they do have that real quick shot with baby with uh, Sherry Moon oh and it's sort of her and the orgy Rob Zombie said that that's that little glimpse is basically just what goes on inside baby's mind yeah that all she really wants to do is have sex with corpses and fire yeah it's like but I think certain scenes like that was almost getting them an NC-17 rating, mm-hmm. like the, the scare. But anyway, right, once you're back inside the house, we find out that it is mother comes back out, they talk about well, the phone. When RJ first appears, reminds me of the one other thing that yeah. Zombie had brought up. I'm sorry. And that with where they were at and where he first comes in, mm-hmm. there wasn't anything to give a good sense of proportion. Okay. So the dude was like 6'11", almost 7 foot tall, but there was nothing to gauge that against him. And so he kept trying to all sorts of different camera angles to make him look as huge and as, as imposing as the guy truly is, but... Everything he did, like, you couldn't really tell how big he actually is. Yeah. No matter what they did, because there's nothing close enough for you to really gauge it against. That's a good point, because he doesn't... I mean, he's a big dude on film, but... He doesn't look 6'11". Not on film. And he said he did have a little bit of the same problem even later on in the movie with Matthew McGrory. Yeah, 7'6", uh, didn't you say? Or 7'7", seven, yeah. seven, some shit. Until yeah. you realize that when that Karen Black isn't a tiny actress, she's actually... She, I think she's at least as tall as I am. And he towers over her when they finally stand next to each other. So they have to have, I guess, a little contrast when he's filming for depth purposes. You know what I mean? Like I said, so he doesn't seem so towering over her. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, the point was, like, he was fi- happy that he fuzz- finally was towering over her, because otherwise, when he was just walking around, everyone was seated anyway, so it was kind of hard to tell quite how big he actually was, yeah. and then finally somebody stands right next to him, and you could assume, oh, it's just, like, some, like, little 5'2 Hollywood actress, yeah, but no, yeah. she's more like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, yeah. and he's... Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, too, like, so when you see it that way. She says that she hasn't had a phone, like, since 1957. Ain't nobody she wants flapper jaw at anymore. No, they get invited to dinner, and this is when Tiny shows up. And Tiny, it's funny because they're all sitting down and they look up, and it's fucking Tiny. Tiny sits down. She winds up writing a note to get Grandpa. Well, the kids put down Halloween, and Mom is like, "Well, it's important around here, yeah, oh, and yeah, so yeah. you're gonna come celebrate with us. Yeah, we're gonna invite you to dinner, and it might, we hope you, you know, you can enjoy it." Don't they say something like the girl? She's like, "Well, some of us." A little too old. Yeah, a little too old. Yeah, that's where that's like, all right, we're going to celebrate. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. That's the hook, I would say. They're hooking them now. Uh, yeah, they're, they're sitting down at the table. Tiny sits down. Mama writes them the note because she tells them the story about how, what happened to Tiny, why I can't hear. 
Uh, and as they're sitting down, first off, Dennis Fimple just kept eating through every single take they took <laughs> of all the set food. But there's a couple scenes during this dinner sequence where you see everybody eating. What they're all eating is Matthew McGorry's birthday cake oh. because this was his first day on set and it was his 25th birthday. That's pretty awesome. And so they actually had a birthday cake. Yes. And so when you see all of them eating, what they're eating is his birthday cake. That's pretty awesome, dude. Yeah, you get sequences. There's, I mean, there's in this film there are a lot of quick sequences. Some of the sequences when he's getting Grandpa, you get Baby upstairs putting on her makeup, and she's antagonizing one of the cheerleaders, and she's telling her to spell baby. Oh, uh, Bill Mosley actually appeared. It was only like a 30-second sequence, and it was mostly in the background, mm-hmm. but there was a news report earlier on that talks about the cheerleaders yeah, being abducted, and Bill Mosley's the news reporter. Yeah, it's cool, because he's all cleaned up, and he's reporting it like a news reporter on a black and white. But if you know his voice mannerisms, you can definitely tell it's Definitely him. picked up. You know, what I find interesting, too, and I think maybe this is a misconception about him, is because he was in, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in this film, and it almost feels like maybe he is from Texas. But he was born in Connecticut. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. He's also a really good musician. Yeah. I mean, I'm sold. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that is a cool sequence that he has as the newscaster. Yeah, there's always cheerleader sequences. Man, there's a lot to cover in this movie. There's a Ramon song that plays, I guess, that goes into it. Now I want a snissom glow. Yeah. Now I just want something to do. Yes, we're playing some Ramones. Then that's when they have to put on the mask. Because now Grandpa's down. He's telling them, you know, you got to put on the mask. Well, too, she also, I was telling you about, she tells them about Tiny. So Earl, we find out Earl the daddy. The professor. Mm Mm-hmm. He tried to burn down the house, but he wasn't crazy. He wasn't trying to hurt Tiny. It's probably bullshit. Yeah, Tiny was downstairs, I guess, sleeping and got caught up in the fire, but he eventually got out. So he can't hear so well. He's got a mask on and shit. Anyhow, Grandpa's down. He tells them all to put on the mask. Otherwise, they can't have dessert and shit like that, right? And then Otis comes down. And that's when uh, Mama gets happy. And he brings one of the twins. He doesn't bring them both. (laughs) You do see the other one in Tiny's bedroom later on. I can't remember which one he brings, if he brings Scruffy or Wolfie. (laughs) I can't remember the name of the baby, but she's like super elated that he even showed up. and, Mm -hmm. And they're talking about Dr. Satan, and he's like, he tells him about that shit, you know. God, I love I love all Otis's lines it. in this. I, I tend to be able to think of his lines in Devil's Rejects a little bit better, but some yeah. of the shit, like, fucking, I bet you stick your head in fire if I told you you could see hell. Yeah. In the meantime, you got a demon crawling up your backside saying, Holy Miss Moly. We got us a live <laughs> one. <laughs> they all start laughing. And then when that happens, the clock rings. Showtime. So, oh my, this is one of my favorite parts of this fucking movie. They put on a weird variety show for them? They do, because on a showtime, it starts off with Grandpa doing an impromptu stand-up routine. routine, Uh, Apparently he was feeling sick during that and wasn't even at 100%. They said a lot of his scenes he was sitting down. I couldn't tell. No. Dude, he, Grandpa was on fire. He fucking tore it up. And he had Chris Hardwick in stitches. Yeah. <laughs> he had Jerry in stitches. And then he got Baby. Do you want to talk about what Grandpa said? Oh, what? Oh. <laughs> I got something written down. It's dirty, but I'm going to say it anyway. Can't remember. I didn't write it down. He says it vulgar and loudly, like when he says things. So he says, eat your, he says, eat your mama's mm. pussy. And oh, then, yeah. you know, he does that. With his, ah, ah, yep. And then he's like, be quiet. You're going to wake grandma. Yeah. 
He's, but he's like, when you're down there, monkey. But you're only getting parts of each of the little it jokes, is, And it too. gets real loud, and you get the feedback, too. Mm-hmm. And then he just, like, cuts it. Yeah, but then Baby comes out and does a routine, and it's a very, very old song. I Want to Be Loved by You. By Helen Kane, 1928. It's been done over and over, but that was the OG. And, ooh. (laughs) So, apparently when she came out, they hadn't really rehearsed anything. Rob didn't actually know what she was going to do. That's pretty cool. And he had no idea that she had worked out this little routine and shit. It works. It's perfect. It's funny, too, because it's just... It's just barely bad. You know what I mean? But it's, it, like, intentionally barely bad. Like, she's not quite on time on all of yeah. her things. And it's because it's fucking baby. This is what she thinks is fancy and what Hollywood stardom is. But she's not that. And yeah. so she's not going to quite hit it all she's, right. She's and, unhinged. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you said, she's not going to be on time. The, what happens is she starts to flirt, too, with the guys. Specifically with Bill, Rain Wilson. And his girl takes up Immediately. Boom. Mary she was takes looking for an excuse. Yeah. Because she had already stuck her tongue. What a little... Who does that? Honestly. <laughs> it was funny because even uh, Jerry, the part where he's like, wow. And his girlfriend's like, Diane, she's just amazed. Like, what, what do you expect? And so she fucking pushes her off, Dwight. Yeah. And Baby takes offense and winds up pulling that switchblade on her. She's like, I'll cut off your tit and like shove it down your throat or some shit. They're fucked like, now. They fucked up Look, now. They're fucked now. At this point, they like, yeah, you can go. You can't actually go. As they're getting out of there, they get assaulted again. Well, Rufus comes in, boom, like mm-hmm. busts through the door. Car's ready. Car's ready. Yeah, and it's already, you start to get this panic feeling because they're like, let's get the fuck out of here. They get in the car, and as they're driving off, baby, like, starts to bang on the car, and they get up to the gate. And the scarecrow. And they, well, they stop, and the girls are like, why are you stopping? He's like, we gotta open the gate. Yeah, you see the scarecrows and the pumpkin scarecrows, and. A scarecrow comes off with a baseball bat, fucks up Bill. Jerry comes out, mm-hmm. tries to help Bill. He gets fucking whacked. Girls are freaking out. Tiny comes in and smashes the window and pulls one of the girls out. The other one's still inside, but we know. They got abducted. I'd say... That was a scary, frightening scene. I'd say at this point in the movie on, it's hard to tell you everything that happens in the movie because yeah, there's a lot more of those weird little cut-in sequences from here on out. And they sort of give you some of the shit as it happens out of order. We don't have to mention everything, right? But some well, of the stuff that so happens they're all, basically between. the thing is they're all fucked now. Yeah, they're fucked. They're they're inside the house and they're all kind of divided up at this point, right? Mm-hmm. From what I understand, Bill gets turned into Fish Boy. Bill is the first to go. Yeah, but he's definitely the first to go. Yeah, because I think Mary's the first one that wakes up and we get introduced to her in the room, tied up to the chair, and it's Otis, and he's talking to her, and she's like, mm-hmm. she's starting to remember it. She has like these little flashbacks a little bit. Which, which I guess I that like scene is longer, too. Yeah, that's Them a little torturing out. Bill is more drawn out in yeah. the supposed whatever cut we'll eventually get hopefully one he day he winds up telling her what's going on and what happened to bill and like so we find out what happens to bill that was one of the ones that was shot later on because yeah. originally zombie thought that it was scarier to just leave Fishboy to the imagination yeah and then he was like oh no fuck it let's show him. and from what i understood is rain wilson part of it was like prosthetics and you know mm-hmm. costume and the other half was just him just like posing and it was funny because they said that's kind of dwight Schrute, like him doing that mannerism, you know, like that staring <laughs> shit. That's what Bill Mosley said. He said that that's basically Dwight Schrute. Uh, but if you've ever seen a Fiji mermaid, it's oh, basically yeah. that, but Dwight Schrute as the upper half. Fish boy. 
and it freaks Mary the fuck out. Uh, and that's when so. you know sh- shit's hit the fucking fan. And then I think maybe Chris Hardwick winds up getting fucking scalped because Baby's got the scalping knife, and she asks him, "Who's my favorite actress?" She's just toying with him. It doesn't matter if he guessed it right or not. She's just going to say it's somebody else. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Scalps she scalps him. him, which that was his hero wig. That was his one good wig, so they were taking a big <laughs> chance that they didn't have to reshoot that. Yeah. And it looked fucked up it looked when good. he got fucked up. Well, Denise's father starts getting worried, so he, yeah, because didn't show so he calls in some favors. Yeah, he calls up that sheriff, Houston, mm-hmm. we talked about. Sheriff Houston. Houston's like, well... I know, I know where that place is at. Yeah, I it's can, like it rained hard as fuck last night. Yeah. They're probably just caught out on some road, but yeah. I know where they called you from. I can send you over that way with yeah, some help. Yeah, she did mention Spalding's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's when he sends out... And so who, her who. father, old Private Ryan, meets... It is. It is. Meets Otis Toole. <laughs> yeah, Sheriff Waddell. And Steve Knight. Venus Ladam. <laughs> or Van Damme. Venus Van Damme. Venus Van Damme. No relation to Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Young Claude. Yeah. Fucking Private Ryan. <laughs> God damn it. So when they went, damn, no when doubt. they went there to that location to start filming, uh, <laughs> funny. Uh, a fucking porn film was being shot. Oh, okay, no like it was like like a car scene, like the side of a highway car scene. <laughs> and they were kind of pissed at him because they initially didn't know that they were there to shoot a movie. They thought that they were there to just like gawk at what was going on. Well, there's a porn. You know what we're filming. <laughs> Why can't we have both? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, that is, that's funny, man. I didn't know that. <laughs> they meet up, and then they're like, oh, well, okay, let's go down to Spalding's. They go down to Spalding's. Spalding's such a dick to them. It's funny. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Shit. Pigs is beautiful. Yeah, his t-shirt and everything's perfect. Dude, they have just a wonderful fucking hilarious back and forth, but Spalding tells them yeah. where to go. Because exactly. he knows what's going to happen. He doesn't give a fuck. This is actually... You get that skunk ape, ape incident sort of a town. Right, which was a longer sequence that got cut out. Okay, I know what happens to Denise now because she's starting to come to... I think she's dreaming. She's, she finds the tombstone of Dr. Satan. Then she wakes up. She's tied down to the bed. She's got the makeup dress on. Tiny comes into the room. He's got a box of Agatha Krispies. It's a joke from Sherry Moon. It's fucking funny. He offers Denise a bite, and I mentioned. I love that scene where he doesn't even give a shit that she's down there. No, this is great for a couple of reasons, and I'll mention one of them. Is I mentioned on a previous episode, I'm not a big fan of people who mouth breathe when they eat, make noises. I'm not a big fan of that. He does that with that fucking bowl of cereal. I'm like, oh my god. (laughs) He's just groveling at pitchfork in his fucking bowl of cereal. She asks him to let her go, and he does. He lets her go. And this is my second favorite part of this scene, is when she's like, thank you, I'm just going to go home now. When she starts to go up the stairs, Otis is coming down, and he's like, where the fuck do you think you're going? <laughs> and then he looks at Tiny, like, what the fuck do you, what There's are you doing? There's actually three I like. I like the, where he's like, Tiny, he's waving to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that shit is too much. It's too funny. I just, I love that he looks, like, so, like, Tiny, what the fuck? And Tiny just looks at him like, what? Yeah. (laughs) We're playing games, right? (laughs) Whatever. Just let me eat my cereal. Fucking hilarious, dude. I do like that whole sequence, man. The whole whole point that he's eating that fucking cereal like that. He waves at her and then Otis. But he winds up throwing her into, like, this cage. 
and these mm-hmm. chicks come and jump oh, on top yeah. of her. Was that the cheerleaders? I think it was kind of implied that it was, uh, but it seems like more of them should have been dead by that point. I thought so, too. I was like, hmm, that's weird, because I don't know if we see them after that point ever again. We may have, but I don't know. That's just something I noticed. I don't know. How does it go? Which one gets burned, and which one gets stabbed? All right, Mary gets stabbed. Okay. And which one were we just talking about? talking about... Who 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 does baby stab? Yeah, and which one do they put on the pyre? Mary. Mary's the one who threatens her while she's dancing and flirts with Bill. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Denise Denise is the other one. Has a dad. She's the one in the dress, and she goes through the whole tunnel complex, and you know. Right. She would appear to be the final girl. Right. Okay. That's Denise. That's she's the one with the dad. Right. Yeah. It's Mary's body that they burn. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, they do. They put her on the pyre. Uh, okay. I was trying to remember how that all worked. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, so, and so which one were we just talking about? So this is Denise. Denise is waking up, and she gets thrown into the cage. Okay, so which one does her father find strung up alongside the cheerleaders? Is it it's her? Mary. Oh, it's Mary. Yeah. I was trying to remember. Well, at some point between then and the next couple scenes, he goes and ties Mary up. Yeah, because he's already up there, and he showed her Fish Boy. Mm-hmm. So that was her moment and Bill's moment. Okay. Uh, yeah, Chris is, after she gets thrown in the cage, Denise, you see Chris Harwick. He's all tied up and got his head all scalped up and shit. Well, we're getting into but my favorite scene. They actually find the car. Like, they find the car, and mm-hmm. they find some. And it's funny, because he's like, Steve Nash. Mm-hmm. He's like, I found the keys. Like, well, pop the fucking truck. Truck. Right. And when they pop the trunk... Cheerleader. Yeah, and it's she's got something written on her. Trick or treat. Yeah, trick or treat. It's like, oh, here we go. They go to the house. Walton Goggins and Private Ryan are sort of sneaking around the back. There, before they get to the house, there's a couple sequences. Oh, okay. I do want to talk because there's yeah, two yeah. funny scenes. There's two funny scenes. There's one very quotable thing because Otis, you see that really quick thing. He's like, I hope you like what you see. <laughs> I hope you like what you... So he says that. And then you also have the monsters, which is... Oh, you have, yeah. Where Mon- Otis and Grandpa are upstairs. That's pretty great. They have some really good interactions. That I like how pissy they get at each other. That too funny, because when they're watching the monsters, they have that Herman Munster's pulling over somebody. In the monster mobile. Yeah, and, he, and this is when Grandpa says, Put me behind the wheel, that bitch. That is when Waddell, he takes a drink of Coke, and he, he's starting to talk to Denise's dad. They're talking about this, their cheerleaders, and that's when I think they find the farmhouse and all that shit. That's when you also get that black man, that weird evangelical black man. So the story, from what I caught from what Rob Zombie said in the commentary, is that that guy was driven crazy by finding Dr. Satan. I could see that. That would make a lot of sense. He's talking about, like, hell yeah! Yeah, and he's got all sorts of signs. Like, yeah. if and when you first, a lot of them are just like Jesus is the way and shit. But when you see a couple of them are like Jesus is the devil and shit. And he does some uh, some really cool shit. That guy's name is Louis Dover. There's like a negative. The scene, like a black mm-hmm. and white, it's the negative. You get that sequence of the sheriff White Allen Nation, the dad rolling up on the house, and I like that because you get that negative image of it, the way it was shot. <laughs> God damn it. So, we so didn't mention yet, I, I said that I was going to rehash this yeah. story real quick, and the Wydell makes me think of it, because I mentioned this during the Henry episode, okay. uh, so I'm just going to go over this real quick, but my old roommate in college, 
we watch this movie a lot, as I already mentioned a little bit earlier on. Yeah. Whether he wanted to or not, I had it on all the fucking time. His stepfather looked an amazing amount like... Oh, yeah, he talked about that. That's funny. Like Sheriff White, like oh, Tom Tolls as Sheriff Wydell. That's awesome. Like that age in life that, you know... Oh, that's a huge reference. That build. And, like, his mom and his stepdad would show up, like, a couple times a semester... And like take us out to eat at like Pizza Hut, maybe buy us an extra pizza to have around the fucking room afterwards. That's they were funny. they were super cool trying to hook us up and shit. But it was every time I was always kind of creeped out because I'd look at him, I'd be like, "Fucking Sheriff Wydell," and I'd tell him afterwards, like I'd elbow him in the side, be like, "Fucking Sheriff Wydell is your fucking stepdad." Yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, you know I think growing up, some people can relate, like parents looking like maybe certain celebrities and stuff. And we had two guys that I went to school with. One's dad looked like Elton John, the others. I told you it looked like uh, Dean Malenko. <laughs> Some wrestlers and shit. But anyhow, it's funny that you mentioned that. It looked like Tom Tolls. Yeah. Sheriff Wydell. As Sheriff Wydell. Yeah. And so it was always just like, oh, shit. Who oh, shit. Uh, previously played Otis. Otis. Yeah. Jesus Christ. This this whole sequence As shit really starts cool. to go downhill, I mean, it starts off and there's just like Tom Tolls and Karen Black are going yeah. back and forth and she's kind of flirting with them, trying to keep them away from shit, but, you know, knows that there's only so far she can push it. Exactly. I um, think she's starting to warn, somebody goes upstairs and warns them too, like, there's cops coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's before he even gets to the doorsteps, but anyhow, you're right. And as Walton Goggins and Private Ryan get around <laughs> back and discover what's going on and give a call, it oh, goes into an man. amazing little... Uh, there's a slowdown... Slow, slow down, down. Uh, sequence popping back and forth between what's happening to all of them to uh, oh, I Remember song? You. Yeah. Which leads into one of my favorite moments Jesus. Uh, this in is all great. the movies. First, you get Karen Black killing Tom Tolls. Well, right before that, you As get Walt in yeah. and the dad. They, they find Private the, Ryan. They find Mary and the girls in the shed. And Walt Goggins like, Sheriff Waddell! Sheriff Waddell! And then, yeah, she pops him right in behind the, his ear. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, man. And then it cuts back to the other two in the back. This is this is a little bit more tastefully done than just it cutting I, back I and like forth. I like it, but man. They're horrified. Private Ryan starts to run for help. Otis comes out from behind the place with a 1911, which was the service pistol in use during both World War yep. II and Vietnam, which Chop Top was a Vietnam vet. And on top of that, you had Private Ryan. That was, like you said, for World War II. Mm-hmm. And so they have him with a 1911, kill Private Ryan, shooting him in the back a few times. He goes face down into a fucking puddle. It's so good. And then you get Walton Goggins. Oh, poor Walton. Poor Nash. Ends up, you find out, I mean, Nash is all talk, total coward, surrenders his gun, kneels down, and as the song ends, you get this, like, 20-second long crane tracking shot as no sound as Otis just has the gun up against Walton Goggins' head. And finally, after like 20 seconds, it, which is one of my favorite moments in all summer. The very first time I remember being just, it goes on so long, I didn't know what the fuck was going to happen. That's gut-wrenching. It made me start to question what I was even watching. I, and you know, that's, that's a good way of looking at it. Maybe for the first time, too, you're like, what the fuck just happened? And after the end of the song, and it just fades out, and all you get is this silence, 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 and you're just watching, 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 and then finally, oh, man. And it's Rob Zombie's favorite shot in the movie, and he had to fight to keep it in because nobody else wanted a fucking twenty-second-long tracking shot. shot, Man, such (laughs) a great shot. What eventually happens is Chris Hardwick, Jerry, and the girls tied up in their suits, like the 
bunny suits, but I think it's supposed to be like Winnie the Pooh characters. It looks oh. like because oh, they're not all okay bunny rabbits. Yeah, you know, I I didn't notice that either until I was reading some comments and somebody pointed out it's like there's Eeyore, there's I think Tigger, and then um, oh. Rabbit. Run Rabbit. So, but what happens is Otis comes down the stairs in the face, and he's he talks about the boogeyman and the boogeyman being real. Who's the one that drinks the devil's bread? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And it's just this nonsense sequence because none of it actually makes that, that is fucking sense. Weird. It's like this weird little family in joke, and it makes it that much scarier and that much more real. Yeah, it is in joke with the family. He's wearing daddy's face. They're gonna take him out to sacrifice them to mm-hmm. give them to Doctor Satan. It, this part of the movie is where it becomes very unclear what any of the motivations are. And shit sort of starts to go just off the fucking rails. It's in an amazing, awesome way that feels, through and through, feels very 70s-ish to me. Really good. I love that sequence. We should mention one of my other favorite scenes Mm -hmm. in this film. It's really brief. When he kisses her with her dad's face on? Well, before that, even before that, right before that, it's Baby and RJ go to a liquor store. Oh, Red Hot Pussy Liquors. Red Hot Pussy Liquors. Uber. And I love that, because that whole scene is, it's just... (laughs) It's, like, comical. It's a little absurd because it's, like, it doesn't really pertain to anything other than the fact they're going to get liquored up. It was uh, Sherry Moon's first night on set. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty interesting fucking scene, too. So there's a lot of extra people hanging around the set to get a shot of her ass. It's funny, man. (laughs) He winds up telling her the story about his name tag. Gary Ober. G Uber, yeah. G Ober, but the new guy put the extra O in there. Like Randy Bud, like right there says Goober. She's like, that's a Asshole. real good story, Goober. <laughs> she winds up telling us something like, "Yeah, we like to, to get fucked up and do fucked up." She's like, "I, I like to get do, fucked up, do fucked up shit too." <laughs> I, it's just that whole that whole scene's funny, man. The red hot pussy lickers. And they got t-shirts and stuff, so get you one. <laughs> yeah, get but, your Red Hot Pussy Liquor t-shirt. But I guess, yeah, this old... It's for shopping at Red Hot Pussy Liquors. Oh, man. But the Who's Your Daddy, who's and then him kissing uh, the, the girl. Uh, and she's like, Daddy. Uh, yeah, it's like, nah, ain't your daddy. But eventually they do lead him out in the field. I love that sequence, too, because it's very doomish feeling. The music's doomish. Yeah, suddenly fucking Otis is basically in corpse paint. <laughs> it's like this ritual. Almost was like this yeah. procession they're doing. In like a red Cossack. Oh, man, it's fucking dope. It almost looks like he's coming out with Ghost, the man. Yeah, it, it honestly kind of does look like he's kind of coming out with Ghost. As someone who's went and seen Ghost, it kind of looks like that. That's maybe one of the first things I can think of. <laughs> And it's never clear what they're trying to do, what exactly they're doing, well, or I mean, why they're doing it, I guess, or no, I mean, why they're going just, through all Halloween the ritual for it, because they know how, who the fuck it is anyway. And well, of course. I, could, I don't know. It's just a habit. It's suppose. just because they're fucking with them, through yeah. and through, and they're just God, taking it that yeah. far because that's how fucked up they are. They take them out to the coffin in that well. I think it's Jerry they find uh, the first one, and Mama, she's like, you know, could have been. She smooches mm-hmm. them. And then RJ winds up picking his ass up and gorilla slams him in that fucking coffin. coffin. Holy fuck, Jerry. That's when Mary gets loose. Mary gets loose. Run, rabbit, fucking baby's like, can I go after her? And she starts to do a poem. It's a grim tell. It's called The Rabbit's Bride. She's chasing after the rabbit. Oh, you sound- said the maiden. I'm going to be honest, I fucking hate that part. 
it's a little I, overdone. I, I want her to just fucking stab her. I'm fine with that part of it. Yeah, her running it down. It is the run rabbit and all that. That's fine with me. You know what that scene makes me think of too? Since we were mentioning, you know, some homages, and I think it's an homage, maybe a little bit to Last House on the Left. That kind of like just mm. primitive, like or primal chasing and then stabbing and repeating stabbing. That shit's crazy. But the it was shot underneath a full moon too. That's what I. That's what I got out of that. Denise is finally put in the coffin with Jerry, and RJ puts a lid on the coffin. They start to lower the casket, and as the casket's being lowered, Tiny puts mask on the dead Mary because she's starting to get put over to a, uh, I think eventually going to lead her to that funeral pyre, but Otis starts to play Whoa. that tape. I was going to say, I was going to bring up the tape. Yeah, the tape is kind of, the tape's really interesting. It's slowed down. It's slowed down Alistair Crowley saying, bury me, bury me in, in a, a nameless, nameless grave. grave. You know, uh, that's the opening line from his poem, The Poet. Yeah, 1920. Good job, man. We're doing our research. Denise is starting to, to plead with The Jerry wickedest Spike. man on earth. By the way, oh, Alistair, Alistair Crowley, Crowley yeah. like super famous occultist. Black Side was heavily influenced by Alistair yeah. Crowley. Mr. Crowley. That guy. Go look him up. Cool. If you're into horror movies and you don't know about Alistair Crowley, go look him up because you'll be interested. Yeah, I mean, this is something that you should already be a little bit acquainted with, but... If, if you're not, not, go check it out. Do some homework. That's a really cool little and homage, like it too. It's fucking scary. It's fucking creepy, dude. Yeah. God damn it. So once they're down there... These fucking things come out like The Descent. I mean, they yeah. were shot before The Descent, but it felt like the creatures from The Descent. It felt, it felt like the they creatures from The, the Descent. They rip the open and they take off a Jerry and leave her behind. And though they take her clothes, I mean, not her clothes off, no, her suit off. No, they don't. Oh, no, 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 you're right. You're right. That's she gets up on the Sorry. shore, and some other patients. random patients run into her. There's like an old guy in an old bunny suit. In an old bunny suit. And another one, it kind of looks like he might have half of a bunny suit. It kind of, I couldn't tell for sure. There's just some But they characters. attack her, but only to rip off her bunny suit, and then they take off. Did you get the feel, the way she was dressed... And the way they're they're putting her into a hole, and she's a rabbit, I felt like that's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, because then she still ends up in kind of like an Alice-like outfit right after that. They're using rabbits, the rabbit hole. She's going down holes. I mean, you know. Anyhow, she ends up she goes running in corridor, into right? Doctor Satan's. Yeah. Like, I mean, she goes down the corpse corridor. That's really cool. Apparently, there's a shit ton of detail that. She starts to bump into fucking corpses. I mean, every one of them's a little bit different. And you feel like it's seriously, it's there's a lot of detail in that scene. Life at any moment, it's a really fucking cool set piece. It's great. Really fucking cool set Scary. piece. Doesn't she get into like a waiting room and she, you see the? Patients? Well, you see, I mean, it's all kind of one. The waiting room and the operating room are just one big room, and you see a few of the patients. But you see, the main thing is Doctor Satan. Like the patients are all kind of fucked up and weird looking. Yeah. Uh, but Doctor Satan, She's like this, got it's like the fucking topless crypt keeper with like a wired into him oh, exoskeleton it's that is looking. being supported you can't see it but those wires are attached to a giant rib cage in the ceiling yeah it's fucking wild looking isn't it i remember seeing that the first time and that was a hundred times scarier than anything i thought the fuck dr satan was going to be yeah that's frightening man and um, it's just so cool looking too like the almost weird like a little cyberpunkish yeah a little cyberpunkish yeah very cyberpunkish, not just a little yeah. bit. Like kind of yeah. grim, dark cyber cyberpunk, almost like he was a horde cyber something out of like Warhammer 40k. Some grim, dark as shit. Yeah, it's fucking dark. And yeah. then she freaks out, and the professor arrives. Yeah, he comes out the door at the top of that little staircase. Who is kind of intended to be Earl? Yeah, Tiny's exactly. Dad. Exactly. 
he has an axe and he's going after Denise. And I like the vision because you see it through his goggles or whatever that little eyepiece he's wearing. From what I understand, when he takes that first swing at her, he couldn't see shit and it was a real axe. Yeah. And they didn't know if she was going to move or not. He's like, well, we were kind of hoping that she would react to that. Like, yeah, you're right. He couldn't see worth the shit because I guess the prosthetics and Mm -hmm. makeup, whatever. But yeah. And he's not a stuntman. No. He was one of the ghouls, though, that pop out of the mud. That's pretty dope. There were rumors, and we checked it out when I say we, Jeff and I. He had thought that Marilyn Manson was one of the ghouls. Oh, no. I remember hearing those rumors at one point, though. Yeah. So we checked it out, and we we could not confirm it in the credits. So He chases her. She eventually causes a... uh, he takes another swing, and he winds up hitting like one of the pillars, and that kind of reminded the Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. She causes him to cause a cave-in, kind yeah. of. Kind of. It was a little bit of blind luck, too, I think. But Yeah. I like, like I said, the way he focuses in on her right before he takes a swing, and she ducks. He misses. Uh, they only had one take to get it right. Yeah. They did it. And they did it. At which point, she gets out of there. <laughs> As she gets out of there, yeah. it goes back a little Texas chainsaw yeah. She gets out to the road, all fucked up, all disheveled. She, I, that's, I got it right down. She's disheveled. I said, this is the TCM-inspired moment. Captain Spaulding rolls up in a, a pink Cadillac. That's right. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was hoping you were going to do that. A pink Cadillac. Like, oh, yeah, I'll get you to safety. Here, jump on You know in. what she what says? To you? I like how she's like, I got away. Mm-hmm. Only, like, you, you just need to lay back. You get about I need seven, eight seconds down the road. Guess who pops out? Dun dun. Otis. Dun dun. Dun dun. Otis out of the back. Dun swings dun. a knife at her, and then you get cuts back to her being operated on in Doctor Satan's, and you kind of wonder: Did she ever even get out of there? Was she just imagining getting out? Because the professor's there too. You can't fuck with them. And it's, I mean, seventies inspired. There's a lot, we've covered that fucking dumb shit ambiguity where it doesn't matter if it's ambiguous or not. <laughs> yeah, before. I know. Right? And they even uh, in the credits too with the question. The end. Mark. Question mark. Of course, you know that kind of concludes the film. Some things I want to take away from this, you know, because we have been slobbering all over this. I know I have just as much. The time period it came out, like I said, this is the time period for me where I felt like this was a new entry into the horror genre. Even though it was a throwback to a lot of different things, it still felt original, and it honestly it blew my mind the first time I watched it. I kind of mentioned this like 30 minutes ago or so, but I agree. Like For me, it came about the first time I saw it during a little bit younger when I was still forming some opinions. But then it was, as much as I loved it, it was out of my life for a little bit just because I didn't have as easy access to things at the time. And when I came back, I came back to it when I was really just trying to get into this shit. And the thing that still stands out to me about it and what it does for me is it's a horror movie where it makes me root for the monster. Yeah, exactly. Both of them. You know, and you had mentioned that too. Like, that was not its intended purposes. Like, you're not supposed to root for these characters, but you kind of do. They're terrible. Like, like I wouldn't advocate anybody doing anything close in real life. Like, I would consider them an insane monster, but I know this is fantasy. Right. And these are characters that I would rather see continue on doing their things than not. All right. <laughs> I would say if you are not sold on that idea that these are not like people, watch its sequel and then find oh, out. Fuck it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> then tell me if you like them after that. That shit is raw as fuck. But we'll talk about that when we get to it. Which just saying, will probably be kind of soon at this point. That's kind of like, but. there's, you might find a redeeming quality. Like, I'm thinking about It. We just did It, the first part. It's like, the first part's really good. 
But does the part, the second part, does it have any redeeming qualities with the adults? We'll find out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you definitely Do they find have out. Any redeeming you qualities? definitely well, find out. You there's moments. Out. There's moments where there's you weird might family moments though too. Yeah, there's a sequence with ice cream that I think it's it's funny. It's a family moment. But it doesn't mean mean they're nice people. No, they're fucked up. That's totally what I'm getting at. Up. Even though it's a moment and it's funny, they're not nice people. And I just love all the implications in this, like the weird underground awesome, tunnel network. That's fucking awesome. Of Scary just patients shit. Of Doctor Satan. How much of that still exists in the Devil's? Because the Devil's Rejects almost doesn't take into account a lot of House of a Thousand Corpses. No. It's almost like House of a Thousand Corpses is just a story based on shit that actually happened. Yeah. But Devil's Rejects is the real deal. You know, too, I found out just doing our research for this film, Rob Zombie. You know, he he got the idea inspired from the set that he mm-hmm. helped produce for Universal. But a lot of the the lines and stuff were ad-libbed they were improvised you know they kind of had a direction of what they wanted to say and some of the ideas but during the scenes they were like this is kind of the general idea just work with it Mm -hmm. and you know they would have moments where they were just ad-libbing but he said in the devil's rejects he had the script like he had probably like 90 percent of what he wanted them to say that's exactly what they said they said it was a little bit more felt like it was you know a little bit more together yeah because this one was his first film, and of course... I feel like that one might have been an even shorter su- shooting schedule, though, too. Yeah. I can't remember for sure. I know that I've delved into some of the special materials yeah, yeah. and reading on that one I did see that one too. in the theater with a friend of mine. Drummer no, band, we'll just get to it at some point here soon. Yeah, um, I can't wait. But this one will always have one of those places in my heart for horror films, just films in general. And it came out a perfect time, too. Like I said, I was just really getting into collecting horror films. And this one was kind of a break from, you know, like those teen 90s horror films. Mm-hmm. And even in the early 2000s, there wasn't anything really groundbreaking. I mean, there was like the Blair Witch Project and stuff like that. Well, and I guess that's the other thing. Like, I first watched this when I said I was, what, like 16 or 17? Yeah. Like, compared to the other horror movies that I could easily get at the time, this one felt so much more, like, transgressive. Yeah, it, it felt... It felt like I was doing something wrong by watching it, and very wrong. That's exactly. I felt like I should be watching this. Even though it wasn't, even though it's not all that bad. Like there's, there's a lot of fucking humor in this movie. But it's just, I think during certain time periods in our lives, we see things that we know we're probably not supposed to see, and then it makes us feel a certain way. And you're like, I know I'm not supposed to feel this way, but I do, and I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That's Uh. how I feel a lot about a lot of horror films. Like I know they're fucking gruesome and you, nobody wants to see this in real life but I don't give a fuck I love them and it just blows my way years later when I realized it was fucking Hardwick yeah after I watched him like fucking I knew who he was prior to that just because of seeing mm-hmm. a few other things but his star has risen quite considerably since that time he's I think he even worked on a Halloween part 2 with him yeah hey uh hey Hardwick well I love if you're, Hardwick if you're listening though. you could shout us out on your Nerdist podcast and yeah. uh you know, we take a little bit of that. We wouldn't mind. Just just throwing that out there, Chris Hardwick, since I know you're a listener. Chris Hardwick, look, you and I can talk about techie stuff, because I did see you on Attack of the Show. I know who you are. You're a nerd. Let's do this, Hardwick. Me, you, him. Hard or firm, your choice. Or both. Yeah, They're not mutually exclusive. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we just plugged that. Come on, Hardwick. Just do it for us. Come on. But no, I really enjoy Chris Hardwick. Do you really have time to do everything? No, let us do some of it for yeah, you. Man. Take the pressure off you a little bit. Okay. <laughs> All right, so anyhow, that's our application. 
But it is really cool, too, like finding out what Sid Hay, Karen Black, Bill Mosley, Matthew Gorey, all these different people, Dennis Fimple, Private Ryan. Private Ryan. You know, you find out that these people are in this film, and it's fucking awesome because he's continues to do it house of a thousand corpses killing private ryan killing private ryan in the back with his own gun that would be, that would have been something. wearing private ryan's face <laughs> oh man yeah how could kissing that his daughter with it leather face inspired that's another cool thing is knowing these references now the more we watch these mm-hmm. so yeah that's another thing i can kind of take away from it we just talked about this movie for like two hours i can't I think anything more that i want to say right now necessarily we were, i don't think we meant to but we did we, how can we not we right. talked about rod zombie i don't know how many times shit no exactly leading up to this he's been brought up far too many times yeah. oh i know what we didn't mention did we forget well we almost forgot something else so we've mentioned a couple I, if you stayed through to this point in the podcast here's your little bonus story we tried recording this two weeks oh ago. Oh, God damn. We almost forgot. Never forget. We tried recording this episode for you two weeks. This was supposed to be episode 37. This is our Easter egg for this episode. This, yeah, this is our Easter egg. If you stay through till the end, now you get to hear the story. And being that we're the fried squirms, most of the time we're not sober when we're doing this. We're usually yeah. either... Well, we always have smoked some weed, and at some points we've usually drank some alcohol yeah. at times. Libations. Um, Going into doing this episode as episode 37, we felt that maybe we could do it under the influence of mushrooms. We tried. There does exist about 24 minutes of us babbling oh very gosh. incoherently. Well, not in, not incredibly incoherently. No, it just starts to slow down at a certain point. But not with any real gold in mind. <laughs> no. It's Things like, start dropping off very oh quickly. Gosh. And within, oh, it's kind of hard to tell with the time dilation effect, but within 15 minutes of me stopping that one, we weren't in any condition to be doing a podcast for you. Well, that's just what we're talking about, too, with full circles, right? Since we are having confessions and Easter egg times. Because of this film, we did watch The Office under the influence. That's, yeah, that's what we ended up... Well, we started. We need to start that way, though. God damn. First, we started with some John Carpenter. Yeah, we did. We did. We did. Assault on Precinct 13, right? Some of the Assault on Precinct 13. That shit was, like, super moody. Then, uh, Bat Dance. Oh, yeah. Prince's Bat Dance, that video. I hadn't seen it in so long. Mm. Wow. That's, there's a lot going on in that video. That video is already a drug Bat trip. Bat Dance. do 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 uh, <laughs> then we damn. decided that trying some Helsing Ultimate might be a good idea. Let's calm down and watch some Helsing. <laughs> Who the fuck has ever said that before? Let's calm down <laughs> by watching some Helsing Ultimate. Not a good idea. No, because there was That's Nazis a heavy involved. load to take. Nazis and vampires. And just buckets of blood. Form. Oh my god. I felt there was times where it got darker in the living room. Yeah, me too. I, I felt like the entire living room was getting darker during those sequences. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a lot, but it was awesome. We took a short walk and yeah. then watched <laughs> yeah, The Office did. for like four hours straight. Oh, the Office is so good, and that was that was dope. There, I think I asked you, and I remember saying this is like there was an episode I was watching, and I felt like they were on mushrooms too. I was like, "Is this I, episode about them being on mushrooms?" Yeah. I'm like, "No, <laughs> no, it's not." It's like, God damn, I'm fucked up. <laughs> but it was it was fun, man. We had a good time. We tried to stay true to our name, and yeah. it was a good experiment, but... There was a moment where I came in here, and it was like, maybe, and then I sat down, and I was like, nope. <laughs> like, there's no way. Not even, nope. No. Nope. So, there you go. That's your treat for st- sticking through to us yeah. to the end of this so episode. That's the reason why this is episode... 
38 and, and instead of 37, 30. which it was originally supposed to be. Yeah, so I might take a picture of my notebook at some point to give you proof that this was written down as number 37. We talked about, like, Kevin Smith in 37 in the beginning of that episode, and so we didn't get to talk about the movie that much, because that used up all of our, like, actual... I think think when we finally left off was, we were trying to bring up Karen Black, and... I do remember that, and I was just like... And it was taking us each, like, three minutes just to even think of something to say. That was, like, the ultimate stoner moment, when you're, like, looking at credits, and you're like, I can't pick one. I can't. I can't. Mm. I mean, I can, but I can't. So... Anyhow, uh, yeah. to keep <laughs> to yeah. keep up with our misadventures as we continue on this zany trip of a horror movie podcast. Hey, it's all within the, the realm. <laughs> Dude, I told you, man. There was a oh, point when we were outside when things went and for me. So, well, I started noticing there was way too many people around for us to be doing that. Uh, yeah. So, anyhow, uh, you're right. Yeah. In order to keep up with our misadventures, SoundCloud, Fried Sperms, iTunes, Tuned In, Stitcher, Google, Google Play. Play. You can go to our website, www. Was that too many W's? There's anyway, dot com. Email us, squirmcast at gmail.com. What do we got? We got a Facebook, Fried Squirms. We have a Twitter, at Fried Squirms. And we have That's the Instagram, great. Fried Squirms Podcast. Yeah, so there are various ways to contact us and let us know how we're fucking up or, or how we're just, doing. <laughs> just to follow the different things yeah. we do. We, we try to like reach out to everybody who gives us some feedback, so don't be shy. I occasionally like twice have put up pictures on our instagram that aren't strictly related to our podcast we try to give some extra content fuck you yeah (laughs) once we start doing some activities uh yeah man you know we'll be a little bit more non-horror centric a little bit but i mean that's what we know that there's less fucking smoke we might actually have a chance to do some shit so yeah that's a good idea so yeah we're finally getting now that we might feel good so damn I'm going to try to feel good for the rest of the day with as little smoke as we have now. Yeah. I think you're going to as well. Oh, you know I am. What I was going to say is we don't really have anything set in stone quite yet. So you and I and our listeners are in for a surprise the next time around. Yeah, because yeah, we got to figure this shit out. We'll, we'll do that right yeah. now. That's what we're going to do right now is we're going to talk about what our next episode is going to be. Yeah, so stay tuned to find out and maybe some more Easter eggs. Yep, yep. Fry Squirms out. Oh.